Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Lights Out Podcast here, and we are once again in deep dive territory. I'm Miguel Iterate. That is the MMA detective, Mike Davis, joining me. We got Chris Vidal waiting in the wings. He will be ushering in another little guy. We've gone from heavyweights to Mark Hominick last week with a fascinating interview at the lighter weights. And uh, we have a stiff follow-up, Mike. What do we got? We got Leonard Garcia. Leonard Garcia is a guy that based himself Ooh. out of Texas and kind of went back and forth to Colorado and eventually, eventually wound up in New Mexico at Greg Jackson's. He's kind of a guy that I don't think he's going to pull any punches. Real close with uh, Cowboy Cerrone from the independent scene. And he's gonna, I don't think he's gonna sugarcoat much. So I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty sure this is gonna be a good interview, you know, an exciting one. On a side note, our subscription base has like doubled in the last 30 days because of all the liking, sharing, and subscribing. Miguel, this has helped us immensely. On top of that, um, December 3rd, I'm at Canterbury Expo Center in Minneapolis, uh, world class grappling and ignite FC MMA. I'm doing a uh, color commentary. December 17th in Chicago, Chicagoland area, Bourbon Street, 115 Bourbon Street, doing a color commentary there for Ignite FC. And February 5th, I'm in Tampa, Florida, once again, world-class grappling. Please sign up on Smooth Cap. Miguel, this is going to be a good interview, brother. I'm looking forward to it, but first I want to throw a little shout-out for Lights Out Bourbon. Chris getting into the bourbon business, and uh, we're all with him on that. We'd love to see it succeed. And, uh, you know, if you drink a little, you know, drink a little, listen to the podcast. It's all good. Consfinewines.com is actually shipping in the United States out of Indiana. Cons, K-A-H-N-S, finewines.com. And right, also, we guys, we've got a promo code. If you spend, let's just say, $500 at betdsi.eu and use the Lights Out promo code, they give you 50% of your money on top of that additional cash in order to gamble. It goes up to $1,000. BetDSI.eu. We got some good, always got fights happening every weekend. BetDSI.eu, promo code lights out. And with that, Miguel, I think it's time to start the interview. Bang. Hey, welcome back to the Lights Out podcast. I'm Miguel Dorati. We got, as always, the MMA detective, Mike Davis. And we are in deep dive territory. We've got another veteran MMA fighter. And uh, Mike, we're in the 135-pound division, and we are with Leonard Garcia. And I'm excited as hell. How are you? What do you got for us? Go ahead, Leonard. What's up, brother? Doing great, man. How are you guys? So you're retired now. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Are Are you working in the gym, or are you working a job, or are you done? Yeah, no, I'm I I I have a, a nine to five. I, I work uh, in oil field automation. Um, it was something I was into before I got into fighting, and I had a little bit of uh, electrical experience, so I jumped right into it and uh, became a uh, uh, you know just 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 a regular average everyday working guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, far from it, my friend. Far from it. Man. <laughs> Very few people have walked your path, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was good. You know, it, it, it's it's uh, 
it's a lot of fun working out there with those guys. And, and uh, of course, I mean, everybody has either seen a fight or heard of the fights or, 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 or something, unless they've lived under a rock. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it, everybody's real respectful, really, really cool. And they, they think it's just cool that I'm out there working with them, you know? Isn't that wild? Like, you just, you know, you knew how to punch someone in the face. You could take a punch. And now they're yeah. looking at you like, why are you yeah. here with us? <laughs> well, the, the I, you know, I tell them all the time. I tell everybody, I was like, man, I was just lucky enough to have something that people wanted to watch, you know. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I spend – you know, eight, nine hours a day with, with, with a group. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I'm just like you guys, man, we're, we're, you know, everything's still the same. Everything works. I was just lucky enough to figure it out, you know, figure out that I was good at something that you guys maybe take interest in. And, and I ran with it. That's good. That's smart. So why don't we start from the beginning? Because Miguel as heavy handed as Leonard Garcia was, he entered into the scene as a submission guy, which to me is mind blowing. So why don't we start with your beginnings? Okay. So uh, I started in, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, was taking jiu-jitsu for about, you know, six, seven months. And then... Where at? In uh, Lubbock, Texas. With who? Uh, Clay Pittman. So Clay okay. Pittman was a uh, Carlos Machado second-degree black belt. Back then, he was a first-degree. And uh, Carlos Machado, of course, cousins to the Gracies. Um, they came in to the United States in about the mid late nineties. And, uh, I got in jujitsu at, and, in uh, what 97. So 97 is when I started training 98, uh, is when I started fighting and, uh, you know, Wait, I, I was, you got to fight in 98. Yeah. I, I believe that was my first fight. I think it was in 98. Okay, your first fight that I have on record, and it might be wrong because record's a little sketchy then, is May 1st, 1999 on Unified Shoot Fighting 15. No. Okay, so so um, Unified Shoot Fighting was was the, like, the premier. A shoot wrestling. Shoot wrestling. That was, like, the premier place where everybody did. That was basically, like, the mini UFC for us guys. So there was a lot of global, cert, like, like uh, local circuits. Um, so Plainview, Texas, where I'm from, had a local circuit. I went there to watch a fight. You know, I'm sitting in the crowd and uh, the promoter, you know, at the time walks up to me and he's like, hey, man, can I talk to you for a second? I was like, yeah. He said, um, you take you, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he was like, uh, you just came to watch fights? I said, yeah, you know, I was come see, see what's going on. He was like, are you interested in fighting? I was like, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I definitely, that's why I came to watch tonight. And he said, well, my main event dropped out. Um, <laughs> Who's the promoter? Uh, Jesse Camargo was the guy's name. Okay. And what's the name of the organization? It was uh, PSDA, Shoot, uh, PSDA Shoot Wrestling Federation. I have a title from them, so that's how I remember. Okay. Okay. <laughs> My very first fight in, like, I, you know, we're sitting in the crowd. He's talking to me. He's like, yeah, the main event dropped out. He's not going to be able to fight. Would you be interested in fighting in the main event? And I was like, I mean, what, what's it pay? So you got to remember this 1998. He was like 500 bucks. And, uh, you know, in 98, 500 bucks went a long way. So I was <laughs> like, you know, uh, so any other stipulations? He was like, yeah, we're, we're going to go get you some shorts and a mouthpiece. And uh, 
you know, it was open palm striking and, and, and jiu-jitsu. Anchorage rules. Yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, you know, let's do it, man. So I jumped in there and and uh, I, I uh, what did I do? I guillotine choked the guy in the first round in like 45 seconds, man. It was crazy. Uh, I hit him with the open hand. Like I, I, I slapped him with the left hook. And like it a Stockton him. slap? <laughs> yeah, it was it was the original sock and slap because it was back in the nineties. <laughs> the Lubbock so, love. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> he ran right into the left, and then uh, you know he 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 crumbled, and I grabbed the guillotine and choked him out. Um, we danced around for a little while. That's why it took forty five seconds, but uh, it was good. So I won there, and then I had another fight after that where I defended that title, and then they brought me into the to the. Uh, USWF, that Unified Shoot Wrestling Federation. And, and uh, so this place was where all the guys were, like everybody who, who you know, Guy Mesger's group, the Lions Den, all those guys. So really, they brought me up from Plainview to be a body. You know, if you'd have seen the dudes that were in my locker room, it looked like the rejects, you know what I mean? One dude was fighting, uh, one dude had like a... a Jorts, you know, jean shorts, but he had cut them, he had cut them up like Daisy Dukes, man. And uh, what the hell is that dude's name? Something Star was his fight name, you know. And uh, I was like, man, you know, this was back when transgender stuff wasn't normal, you know what I mean? Or it wasn't, you know, I mean, to me, it's still not cool, but you know, <laughs> some people, you know, would do, do what they do. And uh, this was back then. So I didn't know if he was just like a Def Leppard fan or, or, or maybe a <laughs> you know, something. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he he was out there in G-shorts. But my locker room looked like the reject room, you know. And uh, Were you making friends there? Or no, was man. It- I was just, I, you know, I was sitting in there uncomfortable as hell. And I was watching these dudes coming back, holding their arms and, you know, knotted up from the slaps and this and that. And I was like, man. You know, so, you know, you get uncomfortable when you're in a locker room with a bunch, a bunch of guys who are losing, you know, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> well, well, okay. let, let's, let's set the table. It's a okay. four man tournament. Yeah. So, you know, and, so, uh, my, my, the guy that's on the same bracket as me, we have a chance of fighting each other. And I'm like, I'm hoping this dude win, wins because I'll slack him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was just, you know, I'm sitting in there. And, uh, you know, the other, the, our, our, our event was the main event, uh, the four-man tournament for the uh, USWF title. And all these other guys are going before us. Uh, so I'm hearing stories about my opponent. You know, they're like, yeah, Brent this, Brent that. He went Well, here, there. let's start with Chris Cantrell, your opening round opponent. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Cantrell was on the other side and uh he comes in and uh he you know we we started scrapping and I armbarred him real quick um it was you know it, it was it was an odd fight because he was so long and lanky and I like yanked on his arm for a good little while cuz you know the arm bars were so new back then that I you know we we didn't it, the the extension was a little different everything was taught you know a little more basic so I remember getting it and he pulls up out of it and like tries to lift me up and I stretch back on it and I feel his arm bend and then he starts tapping. So I let go and the ref didn't see it. So I had to re-grab his arm and do it again. 
Oh. You know? And so it was like it was it was terrible for him because his arm got popped twice, you know. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me let me ask you because you know people that know you from your latter days, you're a 135 pounder, but this is 1998, and weight class is still weight class weren't so important. There. What what? How big were you, and who? What was the discrepancy when you were facing these guys? You know, I, Chris I, is here, Miguel. Weighing in, I think we had to weigh in at 145, but. I remember, I mean, the, the scale was like one of them old school scales. It wasn't, you know, the, 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 the weighted scale, anything. It was like one of the old ones that you'd sit on. Like from Walgreens. They would say everybody was 160, you know what I mean? Like every single person on there is like 140, 150. Everybody's 150. It like teetered back and forth. So it was really awkward, but yeah, I, I remember fighting, weighing in at, at 145 at the doctor's office and I got there and I can't remember what that scale said there, but everybody was the same weight. Really? So you go into your second fight. Perfect. Did you, did you, did you have like an adrenaline dump or anything like that in between bouts? No, it was, it was good. So, so that was when I fought, uh, I fought Brent Medley there and, uh, I remember finals. Brett Medley's in yeah. the finals. Yeah, he's in the finals. So he smoked his dude in like 19 seconds as well. And then we go into the finals and uh, we scrap, man. We get it on. You know, he, he's got a really good wrestling background, solid submission game. And uh, so we like five fights up until this time. Yeah, yeah. And I this was this was only my third fight, you know. Um, and then I had fought local guys and he had been fighting on that USWF circuit, you know. There's like a difference in talent. It did very, very different. Uh, very, very different. Like uh, um, he was fighting guys who were training to fight. I was fighting dudes who probably got an offer in the audience like I did, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it was a really good fight. Well, right in the middle of the fight, uh, my hand, I guess, closed a little more than it was supposed to. And I caught him with the left hook and rocked him. And they stopped it. Like, they stopped it there, you know, said, you know, in the, uh, uh, went to the judge's scorecard. And he had gotten some takedowns on me. So they gave him the decision because I had punched him with the legal punch. So, um, you know, it was kind of like, you know, that they didn't sit well with me because I felt like we had been whooping him the whole time. And, uh, other than a few takedowns, it, it really didn't feel like I had lost the fight, you know? Was there bad blood between the yeah. two of you? Yeah, I, I, I would say that. I would say that. We, we uh, you know, everybody was telling him, man, this kid out of nowhere came and, you know, I you know, I feel like he beat you. If he hadn't punched you with the close fist, I think he would have won. So he's taking all that flack down there because they're like, yeah, you fought some street kid and, and, and you know, he, he did this and that. So we rematched each other and uh, I triangle choked him in the first round really quickly. So yeah. it worked out really well, man. All right. So this is, is this, this is guy Metzger and Steve Nelson's event where essentially what you described earlier is you've got the B team in your locker room yeah. and then you've got lion's den in the other locker room. Yeah. Yeah. That's was, was Brent Medley a lion's den fighter. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think he was a Steve Nelson uh, guy. So Steve Nelson was holding the promotion and uh, Brent Medley was one of his students. The Reaper, Brent yeah. Medley, bro. Yeah, the Reaper. There he, you go. He, I, he I, I can't believe I forgot that. 
<laughs> he, he had a good reputation, though, for he sure. Did. That's that's a very good win because back in the day, with you know the pedigree of the Lions, then he had a good rep and he he was winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was definitely. Um, I, of course, I watched fights of his after we had fought the first time, and you know, I I, I definitely noticed his his takedowns when he was coming in, the way he had duck his head. So we knew he was going to be open for a triangle choke as long as you know I I landed some good shots coming in. He wouldn't want any part of that. So we studied that, and that's how we were able to get him out of there so quickly. That's fine. That's cool. All right. So from there, and Chris, you're muted, just so you know. So uh, from there, May 1st, 1999, that's your first recorded fight. Obviously, you fought two times prior to that. Did you take an entire year off? Because May 18th, 2000. All right. This is where things get interesting with your record. Okay. One, you take a year off. Yeah. Two, you're now in Colorado. So now you're kind of going back and forth to Colorado. Would you mind walking us through why that is? So um, Dwayne Ludwig um, married my cousin, Jessica. Uh, of course, now Ludwig. Um, and he marries my cousin, and they live in Denver, Denver, Colorado. Well, in between this last fight where I beat Brent and the the time that me and Dwayne got in contact with each other, I broke my leg. Um, How'd you break your leg? Was it training or like riding a motorcycle? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we're, were messing around playing football and I busted my leg, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you so, think about uh, it, like you think about it from Dwayne's perspective. All right, we got this cousin in Texas. You know, he does these like backyard fights. He's got to be thinking, oh, man, an idiot. All right. Oh, yeah. he's going to come visit. Bring oh. him over. No, man. <laughs> Uh, it was it was the complete opposite. So Dwayne came down for the fight in Texas. He was actually there with Sven Bean, which is the uh, owner of Ring of Fire. Right. Sven gets with me right afterward. Me and Dwayne meet each other, and we like hit, you know, we've been buddies right away. And then we start talking, and and he starts telling me about you know what he's doing in Colorado. And then he gives me a call, and he's like, "Your girlfriend." I mean, my, my girlfriend is your cousin. So I was like, what So you guys met before you knew? Before I knew, yes. Yeah, so Sven just asked him to come down to, to some fights in Texas with him because he was going to scout out some opponents and, and you know, make, make, get some, bring some guys up from Texas to bring into the ring of fire. So I get to meet Dwayne. Dwayne goes home and tells, you know, his family, man, I watch this scrap in Texas, this kid – who's the kid, you know, Leonard Garcia, like, oh, my God, that's our cousin. Did he look like this? You know, they start describing. And Dwayne's like, man, I love that kid. He's a, he's a great kid. And, I mean, like I said, we we hit it off right away, man. We're Really? really yeah, it, it was cool, man, because uh, we just – it was like an instant, you know, right away. We knew, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and Sven, me and Sven hit it off as well. So Sven asked to start managing me. Brings me up to Colorado, and uh, I start training with Dwayne. So, uh, you know, I was a, a, a solid jiu-jitsu guy back then, and and uh, was was I think I was only a purple belt then, or a blue belt, and then uh, went up with Dwayne, trained with him, Christian Allen, Nate Marquardt, all those guys, and uh, you know, it just started growing from there. That's cool. That's really cool. So your really second cool. fight. You're out to Colorado, so you know, usually it takes people seven or eight fights before they get a plane ride, and you know you win a tournament and you're on your way to Colorado, Ring of Fire number one, actually yeah. May 18, two thousand. 
Um, at 155 pounds, you fight Puma Green. Yeah, yeah, that cool was name. that was a uh, a French savant kickboxer, Puma Green. Uh, Dwayne fought that night as well, so it was cool, man, because I got to go down there and train with Dwayne. Um, and it was kind of the same deal with that guy Puma. You know, I I landed a leg kick, he landed a leg kick. We started throwing punches, and uh, I you know he takes me down, I arm bar him. So it was it was it was a, a really good look for for me because I showed some of the stand up that I'd been working with Dwayne. And then also, you know, was able to get to go to go to the ground and and get a good finish. What prop belt are you at this time? Uh, now I'm black belt. No, no, then uh, blue belt. Okay, see, you you, you did it right, man. You did uh, it right. I I, I guess I, I don't know. It Where didn't feel right back then. Where, where were you getting your jujitsu up in Denver? Who, who was taking care of you there? Um, Nate Marquardt. It was uh, what was the guy's name that was teaching with Nate? Amal Easton. Okay. Oh yeah, Stud. I know Amal Easton. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm still a white belt, man. That's okay. some bullshit. Okay. Why? Well, <laughs> did you just never get belted? No, I've never owned a gi, man. I've okay. never, I never. I mean, I put some gis on a couple of times, but like. At one point, I was training someplace, and uh, like the the Brazilian guys, like I will give you a no gi black belt. I'm like, that's for you, not for me, man. That's to help you promote yourself. I'm out. I don't want it. You know, <laughs> so I don't want that. Like, so, I don't train with gi, man. Don't give me a fake black belt. You know what I mean? So, so um, of course, I did jujitsu for 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 quite a few years, and when I went up to uh, Jackson's, um, I was a uh, uh, I don't know, like a, some some brown, like a second degree brown, brown belt. And then um, Greg started doing a uh, MMA system, belt system. So yeah. uh, when I got there, I remember he had me, he had me and Cowboy as blue belts because we had just joined the team. And then over the years, we all progressed. And, and uh, then so my black belt in jiu-jitsu was awarded to me just because I got a black belt in MMA or whatever, you know, the Greg Jackson camp. Uh, so, you know, when I came back home, the instructor there, you know, we rolled a couple times and then, you know, he stands me up in front of the class, gives me the black belt. So I'm kind of with you on the, uh, you know, you kind of name, name the guy, I'll give you a black belt in this, or I'll give you a black belt in that. But it's, as far as following the curriculum, um, jujitsu wise, I only went curriculum wise all the way up to a brown belt. I have a question for you, man. This is going to be way off the subject. You brought about you and, and Cowboy being at a Winkle John, whatever. But um, I, I, I had a, a funny kind of feeling about that when Cowboy and Mike Perry was going to fight. And I felt like they picked Perry. And then I talked to other people and they're like, well, Cowboy would just kind of show up for his fights and Perry was always there. I mean, did that settle, not settle well with you? How that all play out? And then, you know, if you don't want to answer that, I get it. No, it it, it definitely didn't settle well. Here, here, here was the the main issue with Cowboy was um, we would go to Greg's and we would follow the curriculum. We were doing everything they would ask us to do, but Cowboy always wanted a place where we could train, you know, just, just, just whoever wanted to come up and do, you know, uh, spikes, fights specific stuff. Like say I have a fight and, and Greg would work game plans and, and, and other things, but you know, if John Jones was in the building, it was about John Jones's game. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so so we thought, you know, to take a little load off of Greg, 
we will create our own little, you know, we'll still come to all the classes, but. Well, no, wait, wait. Did John Jones take up the entire gym? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would say, uh, yes, he would, he would, uh, you know, he would, he would take the, 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 the pad coach, the guy that, you know, Weagle John who would hold pads for everyone. So some days you would get work. And some days when John was there, nobody would get work. You know, because he, would he like make these guys like follow him and watch him hit a bag, even though they're holding pads or would you be able to work in with them? Yeah, I mean, no, it's like, uh, uh, you know, go y'all go do kickboxing over there and, and we're going to work with John over here. And then we'd have a group of guys come in and uh, John would bring his own some of his own guys. And then when they needed like a body or something, they'd call you. Hey, come come over here. And, you know. So we felt like. Yeah, you know, when 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 the superstars were there, it was like Jones, uh, Pierre came down, you know, quite a few times. Uh, Rashad, you know, uh, Rashad was real cool though. Uh, him and Keith would would typically always ask us, "What are you working on?" You know what I mean? What can we help you with? So um, Cowboy would return the favor, and then um, you know when when Perry came. Perry was just a body, you know what I mean? He was like the, the, you know, he would, he would stand in wherever they needed him to. And uh, I think he felt acceptance and he liked that, but he didn't look at it as, man, I'm fixing to fight this big jiu-jitsu guy. And they got me in here being a body for this dude. And I'm not working my jiu-jitsu. You know, I got to figure something out for myself. So that was the, the, the avenue that Cowboy took. Like, I'm still going to go to the classes. I'm still going to do everything. But as soon as they try to make me a body, I'm gone. I'm gonna hold my, you know, my own training sessions over here and 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 do my thing. So it 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 was uh it definitely wasn't a shot at any of them. We understood those guys were bringing in money, uh, you know, and 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 we were too, but it wasn't quite the magnitude of what John Jones was bringing. So uh, well, I didn't with as, with less as, hassle. Less hassle on your end. I yeah, yeah, add. yeah. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you had you you made you made the news, you know, but nowhere near as many times as him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most so, miles it, from that shit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, man. So you know, it was good. Uh, and uh, when when I heard that statement about them cornering Perry because the cowboy wasn't there all the time, you know, I I, I kind of you know distanced myself from that. And then now it's awkward because the very first gym that we started at, which was Jackson Winkle John, was on Acoma Street. Um, then they opened up that new facility uh, down downtown, and uh, me and Cowboy weren't allowed there after a while. Really? Yeah. So why we, were you banned from there? Oh yeah, I, I mean, because I was, you know when 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 you ride with Cowboy, you kind of get associated. And uh, so I was. You really ride the cowboy. Yeah. Ride or die with him. <laughs> and and then that was that was the other thing too. You know, if 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 he wasn't welcome, then I didn't want to be there either. You know. Yeah. So. Um, no, no, that's your friend, man. No, yeah, you man. did the right I, thing. I love that. Hey, man, yeah. I remember. I remember the first time I was in the. I was cornering Mitrion, and we were in. Uh, I I I think. Uh, John Jones was in the same locker room, and he's up warming up and you know, talking all this stuff. And, like, he kind of goes up and throws up a little bit. And, you know, geez, they ran over there and started padding up his mouth. And, oh, we got to get the throw ball field. My coach and me were just looking like, what the fuck? It's like, 
Man, if I told Pat to come and wipe my mouth off, he'd have thrown his shit, he'd have lost his shit. And if he tried to come do that to me, it ain't gonna happen. So I just saw a whole different level of pampering there. I was like, I ain't yeah. cool with this, man. I was just like, uh, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, I'm out, dude. Me, me, and my people still laugh at that. Like, oh, I'm gonna throw up. You want to pat? Get the hell out of here, man. It was just a different. It was weird. That was where I first started seeing. This is weird, man. So, so everything you just described. We we picked that up right away. Like the second he would come <laughs> into the gym, it was a John Jones show, which was yep. you know what John Jones was a great dude. He's a he was a young way younger than than than, than I was, and uh, you know he was super talented. Um, he was just a little bit wild, you know what I mean? Like I I, I typically uh, wouldn't go out and do any drinking, but you would hear these stories and you would hear this and that, and then he'd come in there. He's a great guy, man. We got along real well. I just didn't like the way they pampered him. And I don't think that was his fault as much. It's just saying you going to be a superstar. So they figured, shoot, the closer I can get to this guy, the better it's going to be for me. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I had to respect, you know, I respect anybody to do what they want to do. And if that was it, you know, but, but that was the reason that we separated ourselves and started doing our own thing. And then yeah. when, when the, uh, a coma, uh, uh, Jackson's opened back up. That was uh, our buddies that, that that reopened it, and it was still Jackson's. And Greg used to still go over there. And mind you, Greg wasn't as close-minded as some of the other coaches. Like Greg did, you know, try to take time with us and try try to do different things. So when we had the opportunity to go back to that gym. We would still stop in quite a bit. As a matter of fact, for my first bare knuckle fight, I went back to that gym and trained there for that one. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So we're going to get back on track. Chris Lytle, give me a minute. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that was good stuff. All right. So um, you get your rematch with Brett Medley, yeah. the, you know, the Reaper. And was there a lot of back and forth? I, I was not there. Obviously, there's no video online, but I had heard that there was some people from weigh-ins that there was a little bit of bad blood between the two. Yeah, we, we, we definitely didn't like each other. Um, he was struggling to make weight. Uh, and I remember, you know, I, I, I was okay with fighting at whatever weight class, especially back in the early days, you were, you know, I think at one time in the early days, I was going to enter a tournament where I was opposite of Heath Herring. So <laughs> imagine, imagine that the weight class differences back then. So, you know, at the time making weight didn't really, it wasn't what it is today, you know? So, um, he couldn't make weight and uh, he ended up, he ended up making it somehow. I don't know how he did it. I didn't get to see the way in, but they said he made the weight. And uh, I, I believe it's, it's his promoter, his promoters is instructor too. <laughs> so, so I, uh, I said something about it. I was like, yeah, well, we'd never seen him on the scale. And then he said something back in the, almost like in a sense that maybe I was like afraid of him or trying to make an excuse or something. And uh, we exchanged a couple words there, and uh, I we didn't almost fight. We just kind of said some stuff to each other. Everybody got between us like we were going to fight. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I knew the very next day we were going to fight anyway, so it wasn't no point. You know, I I, I, def, I knew I was ready for him uh, this time around, and I knew I was going to finish him. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just wait till tomorrow night. But they did make it seem a little more dramatic, like, a lot of people jump between us like, oh, no, settle down. And I was like, 
I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're not fighting until tomorrow night, but he was acting <laughs> crazy, you know, like trying to act like he was Hold trying to back. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just sitting there like, yeah, I, I'll see you tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it never really made sense to me to, to act that way at weigh-ins. Like you've got a contract, the dude's going to show up. He's there weighing in. He's going to be there tomorrow. Why jeopardize the fight or, or, or do something stupid the day before, you know, doesn't make any sense to me. So you win with a triangle first round and you get the main event, yeah. Evan Tanner, Travis Fulton. Yeah, that was great. I remember uh, uh, sitting back and watching that fight and uh, Travis Fulton was the dude that fought every day. You know what I mean? Like, I, can't remember, I can't remember how many professional fights he had. Do you remember Chris? It was a couple hundred. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, he would fight every weekend, man. And then, you know, he, he, he fights Evan and I believe I've got him with the mounted triangle or something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was, it was cool to watch it. You know, uh, now so many years later, I didn't realize, you know, Evan was going to be who Evan turned out to be. So I was like, man, it was cool, you know, to be there in the early days. Yeah. Did you ever work out with Evan? What year was it? Uh, 98, 99. 2000 yeah 2000 yeah okay yeah so um yeah i worked out with with evan a couple times um he was more of like uh back then what i would call it now is more of a like a crossfit training type workouts you know what i mean that's 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 pretty much like describing it now that's how i would see it um we would do all types of stuff, run, jumps, uh, uh, pull-ups, grapple <laughs> for a little bit, grapple for a little bit, then jump rope, then slam the balls and grapple again, and then hit pads. It was like nuts. Really? He would go through this crazy routine, and he was making it up on his own. So it was like whatever he felt at the moment, he's like, okay, high knees. And we'd be grappling and then stand up and do high knees. You know, so I was like – yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was different, and you definitely get into shape. But I don't, you know, I I, I definitely didn't. Uh, it, it it's not a good training regimen for nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I remember Evan, like I remember the first time I fought in Japan, he was on the card. Dude was just an athletic, strong guy who could muscle people. I mean, he was just throwing people around. I, I don't know I would, if I would say his technique was overall superior, but, man, yeah. the dude was a, a physical specimen. And he – I didn't realize, like, he went hard, but then later on I found out that dude was partying hard too. I mean, that dude was yeah. knocking back afterwards for real. Yeah, him and uh, him and uh, a couple of the other guys would – would uh, they would start in the locker room, like, right after training. You know what I mean? It was, like, game on, you know, then and uh, – you know, I would see stuff like that all the time. And I was like, man, you know, maybe I should be crazy and, and, and <laughs> you know, get to get into some of this stuff. But, you know, it, it just never really appealed to me. I never, never really had like an addictive personality as far as any, any type of drugs or, or, or alcohol. And uh, funny story is I quit drinking alcohol before I became legal. <laughs> you haven't had a legal sip of alcohol? Do what now? Have you had a legal sip of alcohol? Uh, yeah, since, well, since then, um, uh, now like nowadays, I'll drink every now and again. I'll drink a glass of wine, and and the other day we went to go have dinner, and uh, my wife ordered an amaretto sour, 
And I tasted that and it didn't taste like beer. It didn't taste like anything bad. So I, I, you know, I helped her drink that, but that's as far as it goes for me. I, I'm not, I, I just, I'm not a real big on, on alcohol. Um, Good for you. Think, yeah. Well, here, here, here's the thing. And I don't know if this is going to sound weird. Um, I don't know if it's cause I'm always uh, like always waiting maybe for something to happen, but alcohol at that point where you start feeling a little bit funny, I feel vulnerable for some reason. Like I feel like, uh, like, man, if something happened right now, would I be able to, to react? And, and uh, I don't feel a hundred percent when I have that different feeling. So I just never push it past that. That's smart. Well, what what that's you're supposed to do great, is have man. two more drinks and then you feel like you beat up everybody. <laughs> that's what, that's what everybody tells me. They're like, no, that's all right on the birds where you're really going to start feeling good. That's but, the problem you know, though. You start thinking you're too good. It's not a good thing, man. That, that's it's not true. a good, I understand. So, so uh, yeah, I, I, I typically I'll get a little bit of a head change at about a half a drink. Uh, I, I, you know, like if I got a glass, about halfway down, I'll start feeling it, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm good." That's uh, good. And, and I typically won't. I've never pushed it past that. I think on my birthday, Shelf was down, and uh, dude, Tommy Shelf, yeah, that's the man, right there. I drank uh, 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 two glasses of wine, and and I, you know, it was a happy time. Everybody was here, all the people around me. I was really comfortable with, and I remember getting into that second glass, and then I I stopped myself because I started getting funny you know like it started getting fun like like it, you know everything seemed a little funnier in this and that so i was like yeah 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 i'm gonna quit right here i know Leonard. we got the new lights out bourbon you might have to try some of that okay <laughs> okay <laughs> you that Let, shameless plug sorry yeah, yeah, no that's good but Leonard, I, I got a, a geek question for you too also on that card another texas legend from back in the old days paul jones was that somebody you had any access to or any anything you remember about him or, or, man, or I, not? I don't, man. Okay, I, I don't. okay. He's a wrestler. He's about 190. He did UFC. He used to wear a singlet at times. I think okay. he was probably at a Nelson school, but that's all good. No problem. He was on that okay. card, though. Okay. Yeah, I you know, um, on those cards, it was so sporadic back then, like, you really didn't even know what lineup you were, when they were going to put you. I knew, I knew we were the main event, so I knew we were going to be the last fight. But you never knew uh, the, the, you know, the order. And then back then, technology wasn't it what it what it is today. So we were in the back dressing room while the fights were going on, and then the dude would just show up like, "Hey, you're next," you know. So uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of one of those deals. Cool. All cool. Right, so on February tenth, two thousand one, you. Enter your second four-man tournament. Okay. Ring of Fire 2. Um, your first opponent, Sean Simpson. Sean Simpson was a wrestler. I, I you know what? I don't know that Sean Simpson really had uh the the a wrestling pedigree. He just looked like a professional wrestler. You know, <laughs> like he was solid, he was stocky, you, you know, he 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 was uh, a little funny looking and the crazy thing is i threw a kick and he checked it with his foot like a flat foot like like uh uh he almost caught my foot my shin bone with his with the bottom of his foot so it was like really awkward and uh i think it was an accident i think he picked his leg up while i was throwing a low kick and his i kicked his foot so then we kind of like tangled up together and he he tried to pick me up and slam me 
And uh, mind you, this was back in what, 90, what was it? 2001. Okay, so Denver. this is 2001. Um, Denver. No, nobody had seen a flying triangle before, you know? Um, and uh, he, he uh, because he grabbed my leg awkwardly after, after we stumbled into each other, I just jumped up in the triangles there. So I didn't know it was a flying triangle. I didn't understand you know, didn't even, hadn't even seen one yet, but it was like, I, you know, got it midair and, and, uh, kind of climbed his body, got it up there, tied it in and, uh, uh, got the choke. So it was, it was kind of cool. You invented it. I no, I didn't invent it. it because, uh, Thank you, Sudo ripped you off. Somebody called it before then one of, I can't remember, uh, uh, Soneka. I think that was it, the jiu-jitsu guy. Maybe, he, okay. uh, that, that was pretty famous back then. So you triangle them in 32 seconds. Okay. Great first wow. fight. Yeah. Wow. So great first fight was, you know, you're fresh going into the second where you For fight sure. Akuma Ryu student, Jake Thunderhatton. Jake Hatton. He, he, wait, did, hey, I got one question before you even start. Did, was he wearing gi pants? Yeah. He, no, he was wearing, he had the bleach blonde hair. And he was wearing, I can't remember if he had the gi pants on. He yeah. had no been. I, I, there's no video of this. Okay. But, like, I, I I looked at him. I'm like, let me really break this down. I found him, like, his first seven fights were out of a TMA gym. There's okay. no way he wasn't a gi pants, bro. There's absolutely no way. He probably did. You're probably right. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, we scrapped pretty good, man. I I, uh, I dropped Jake with the left hook, and then I end up. I think I guillotine choked him. If I can't remember, if I remember. yes, second round guillotine. And you know the few fights that I've seen of his outside of yours, it's non-existent. He seems to be a pretty big ticket seller too. He yeah, he definitely had a crowd. So so uh, Chris might know who this guy is. He was the uh, Zion's uh, drink guy. What do you mean? Uh, okay. You okay. remember Jake, Jake, Jake Hatton. He was, uh, I don't know if he was the president of science or whatever. No way. He was something somewhere at that point. So um, I believe that I didn't even equate the two. I just, there's no way. Yeah. He comes to me after, um, you know, right when I got signed to the UFC and uh, a couple fights after is when science was like all the way in and uh, he comes to me, sent me a bunch of drinks, and and they sponsored me um, because I had fought him, you know. So it was kind of cool. It worked out in my favor in the end. Nice. But he he was uh, uh, definitely a, a a business major or something, and uh, you know, fighting was just kind of something he did back then. Uh, it wasn't really a career; it was more of a hobby, I think. You know, it's science. Cool. It's a really interesting story. It's almost yeah. like a shell game that entangled a whole bunch of high-end people. And when the UFC broke, like the big wigs there had to bail like everybody out. It, it's it's a real interesting. Yeah, you know, we should do like a little segment only on science because I, I could break that down pretty easily. All right, so June 30th, 2001, your next call. Dude, this is when you know the WEC is a big show. They have you come and fight Victor Estrada, WEC1. And um, they, there was big things for that organization on the horizon, you could tell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that, that uh, um, Ring of Fire had a pretty good feel to it. 
Um, but the WC was was uh, definitely a different type of promotion. Um, they just treated the fighters well. I remember we got a chiropractic um, adjustment <laughs> before the fight. So, uh, yeah, so it was odd. You know, they, they had a chiropractor there, one on each side, and, uh, the, you know, they did an adjustment before you get out there. And uh, I thought that was real cool. I, you know, this was way early on. We weren't being treated like, like superstars then because, you know, we weren't on TV. Nothing was really going on. But uh, I thought it was cool to have a chiropractor uh, give you an adjustment right before the fight. What, was yeah. it at the palace? Yeah, at the palace. Yes, sir. Lamore, California. Lamore, California. Yeah. So we fought outside of the palace. It was an outside venue. And uh, a cool story about that is I got to meet, uh, what's it, Dennis Hallman for the very first time. And then I got to meet Chuck Liddell there as well. So it was really cool. Wow. Yeah. So you win by head kick in the second round. Yeah. And um, Dan Severn and Travis Fulton is the main event. Yeah. Um, how amazing was that fight? It was so, so here's, here's the backstory on that fight. I broke my leg again when I kicked him in the head. So really? the first time I broke my leg, I had to have a plate and screws put in. So when I kicked him in the head, one of the screws hit him right on the head, I guess. And it vibrated the screw in my bone and it uh, fractured it. But because I had that plate in there, it held my leg and my bone in place. Um, so I had a plate and 16 screws. It broke at the 13th screw towards the bottom all the way across to the other screw because of the vibration. Um, so we drove out to Lamore, California from Plainview, Texas for that fight. Yeah, we didn't fly. How uh, far was that drive? That's got to be 18 hours. hours. I think 19 hours, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's so, miserable. Uh, drove all the way down there and drove back with a swollen leg in a Cadillac with four other fighters. Oh. Uh, and, you know, they had all lost their fight. Like, one of the guys fought Cruz Gomez and got knocked out. The other guy fought one of Chuck Liddell's guys that got knocked out. I whooped, I won. I beat Dennis Holman's guy. And I'm in the backseat almost in tears, man, because my leg won't stop hurting. And these dudes are all socked up, all happy, you know, because we got to fight at WC. Um, so in Arizona, the AC busted in the Cadillac. Uh, so mind you, Arizona's a This is karma. Degrees. This is karma, bro. You yeah, did no, something check, wrong. Check this out. So I'm I have a fever because my leg is broken, right? Mm. So I'm burning up hot. Then the AC bust. So I'm I'm back there having heat flashes, man. I don't know what's going on. My leg's broken. So I was like, dude, something's wrong with me. Let's pull into the emergency room. Um, <laughs> pull into the emergency room in Arizona, and they ask me if I have insurance. So. I call nope. Reed Harris. Check this out. I call Reed Harris, and this is when I knew uh, that I would always fight for the WC anytime they called me. Reed got a hold of, you know, got 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 his people on the phone for WC, got the insurance forms taken care of. They treated me real well in Arizona, and uh, it was kind of cool because we got into going to the uh, cold hospital 
inch out of that steam box that we drove up there in. And uh, um, they uh, took care of my leg. They put a big old cast on me, gave me some crutches. And then I drove, we drove the rest of the way back home. And uh, so it was kind of a cool story, but uh, that was the backstory on me. That's why it wasn't as cool. Like, I think it would have been so much better if my leg hadn't broke, you know? Reed Harris goes online screaming about how it was a fake fight. So I was just hoping, you know, you would say it was great. And then, you know, we'd reverse the car. Oh, I thought you meant. Okay, no, no. <laughs> no, By no, the no. way, Miguel did the same thing for me, man. When I separated my shoulder, he paid for my seven indie. But my 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 drive home was a little different. I uh, my buddy Tony Ross gave me a couple of pills. I don't know what's in them, and drove me to the liquor store. We bought a six pack, and I all the way home, I'm like, I think my shoulders are right now. It's fine. It wasn't, but so if you just drank some stuff, it would have been all right. Yeah, yeah. you just drink you with, did, a, with a ticket. You you absolutely did the right thing going to the hospital in Arizona because I I got to tell you, New Mexico doesn't get any cooler. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely uh, uh, regretted having to get back into the car, but uh, I think I think we uh, we actually rented a room and slept during the daytime so we could drive at nighttime so it would be cooler. Uh, yeah. You know, so so uh, it, it it worked out fairly well, I guess. You know, it, we made it home at least. Neil and Victor Estrada, his his opponent, had an upside down record, but if you look at the guys, he was like five and eleven. But if you look at the guys he lost to, it's like Melvin Gillard, Bob Cook, Antonio McKee. It is just like stud after stud after stud. So he definitely wasn't afraid to fight tough. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a tough dude. Uh, I, I definitely didn't know very much about him. I just knew he was one of Dennis Holman's guys, and he was out of Washington, and that was really all I knew. But it was the WC college, so we were on the way. You know. So no. that break, did it make you take another year off? Yeah, I took I took uh um what I think a year, maybe two off. And then um I went to Austin, Texas and I did a boxing match. So okay. yeah. And Is that then, Miguel Ortiz? Miguel that, Ortiz. That's what the box rec list is your box. Okay, okay, match. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had I had been um 160 pounds uh, walking around and I showed up in Austin, Texas and they offered me a boxing fight two weeks later at 144 pounds. Um, and back then, you know, our weight cutting uh, uh, thing was just, you know, we would sit in a sauna or run with the sweatsuit on. So uh, for a week, I just cut weight. And then I went out there and, and 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 fought and uh man it was i had like the worst performance i'd ever had in my life but uh i remember being super lightheaded the day of the fight and just didn't feel good um and then i i, I studied cutting weight after that because uh i you know i realized that we had done something wrong and uh <laughs> definitely didn't work in my favor okay so there's a couple interesting that have things that happen now so you take a year off, obviously, leg break, you take a boxing match. March 15, 2002, Sven Bean does you a super solid. He gives you a high-end wrestler named Steve Horton that yeah. just refuses to learn jiu-jitsu. Yeah. So you got a real shredded guy that's a wrestler that's going to go for a takedown against, you know, a guy that's you know, probably a little higher than a blue belt at yeah. this period in your career. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. sure. It, was, it was, it was, it was really good. Spin did a really good job matching me up, managing me. And uh, I felt like they were all really good, good. Uh, stylistically, it made sense for me. Okay. So was that a last minute replacement because it was a title fight? Which uh, against Steve, Steve Horton. Horton. I don't, I don't remember that one. Because you won the Ring of Fire title that night. And it like you look at Steve Horton's record and you look at yours. And Horton is like a jacked up dude. Like he looks the part. Um, but, you know, he's got no jujitsu. I, I figured looking at it, having no background on it, it appears to be a last minute replacement. I can't remember if it was or if it wasn't. I think, uh, I think we just got kind of got pulled in there to be on a cookie. All right, you take another year off. Mm-hmm. Why is there so much time and space in between your fights? Man, MMA didn't pay a lot of money back then. And to be able to go to Colorado and train or to be able to be down here in Texas and actually get ready for a fight, it didn't make as much sense. And then back then, I, uh, I definitely knew I was winning fights, and I knew, but I didn't know – that it could lead to the UFC this quickly. You know what I mean? Like, I, I had no idea that, that, that it could turn around in one day. Hmm. So I would just take time off and, and uh, you know, work like, uh, you know, regular jobs and then, you know, just kind of kind of keep training and, and being ready for the call. Hmm. Well, now you're seven and one, obviously, you know, and Sven puts you in a hard fight. He puts you in Ring of Fire 7, um, title defense fight against future UFC veteran Justin James, James. who is uh, six and two at the time. That's not an easy fight, man. Yeah, it was. Uh, he, I remember he called me up for that fight, and I had just had that boxing fight um, where I had cut down all that weight. But, uh, you know, I was pissed off because that boxing fight didn't go my way. So it was like I had something to prove, you know, and uh, he calls me up and he says, you know, Justin James and and uh, I had watched Justin fight on the last last card, the, the card before he sent me some videos. And I thought he had a really good style for me. So it made sense. So I, I, I took the fight and uh, it went really well. Yeah. Yeah. So you won by rear naked choke first round 228. And here we go. I mean, Leonard, I'm looking at like this time off. I'm thinking like you're doing little stints in jail here and there. No, because because you take another three years off. So so this this is where Mikey went to college. uh, What the hell, jail? (laughs) Funny twist. So um, I'm working uh, at Frito Lay as an assistant manager. Um, I go fight Justin James and, uh, man, I, I, uh, kind of met some guys that were on the wrong side of the law and, uh, yeah, well, here's the thing though. Um, I didn't, I was more of a, like a, 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 the face, a face guy, like, you know, man, if you mess with us, we're going to get Leonard you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, it kind of worked in my favor until, uh, one of the guys got caught with a lot of stuff 
and you know a lot of illegal stuff and we were all implicated in the deal like a lot of us um, okay, so because, it's a it's a federal thing yes okay so uh that's well, serious uh, yeah so so and that's this period no so that's that okay. happened the 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 okay so this guy gets caught with this stuff and i say you know what uh I was stupid for being around here in the first place. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm gone. You know what I mean? I'm 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 gonna go off. I'm gonna I'm gonna chase this career down. And and uh, you know this was kind of stupid, but uh, I don't want to be here, be around these dudes. And I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna do that. And you know just just stayed away from everybody. And then I run off. I get into the UFC and have a fight against Roger Huerta. Then have a fight against. Uh, Cole Miller and then or uh, Alan Barubi, Barubi, then Cole Miller. Then I get jumped, switched over to the WC and I fight. You know, here, here yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, okay. we got you. Okay, and then and then Pulver. After the Pulver fight, I come home to Lubbock, Texas, or to Plainview, Texas, and I go visit Lubbock, and a police officer picks me up at the airport. At no, at at in in a uh, it's like almost like they knew I was coming to Lubbock and boxed me in, you know what I mean? So, uh, then they take me to jail and tell me that they have you know a federal indictment or an arrest warrant. Man, that's no joke, implicate me on a conspiracy. Um, so. I go in and we're like in there for like two weeks. And then me and six other guys, you know, they, they put us all in one cell together and they had, wait a minute. They put you in one cell together and you get, wait, is it the same guys in on this conspiracy? Yes. Oh no. Dude, you got to keep your mouth shut, bro. Oh no. Check this out. No way. That's a setup. Yeah. They put us in there all together and they give everybody paperwork, every single guy in there. And then the way I think of it is they listened in to everybody talking to everybody. You know what I mean? Like, hey, man, this is the day that this happened. This is the day that you did this. That's this still, yeah, let me tell you something, man. That's crooked police work. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and were you afford an attorney? No, yeah, yeah. So so um, uh, Peter Dropick from the UFC, I believe, was my attorney. <laughs> um, yeah. You might have been um, the only guy with an attorney. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I'm in there, and 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 mind you, like I said, I, I was never, you know, doing... Well, well, see, know, but you say that, but there's a guy in Europe, his name escapes me right now, he was the muscle for European, like, okay. uh, you know, cartel. Dude, he did eight years just for beating up a couple people up. Okay. Well, mind you, um, I never did any like beating up or anything. I was more of like, you know, just just kind of the dude that threat. was around and you know everyone and, knew. You the know, threat. And, and uh, you know, guys knew that I was a fighter and and they're like, Yeah, 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 stick around here. Here's you know, a little money for this, a little money, for, you know, hang around here and 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 make sure nothing goes, you know, sour or whatever. And and uh you know, we're in there and everybody's telling their stories to each other. And, you know, 
they call me from the, the, my lawyer does. And he's like, dude, just sit in there, uh, you know, and we'll be, we'll be there to get you in a couple of weeks. You're good. You know, couple of weeks, you better get your ass over here in a couple hours. Uh, yeah. So, so mind you, the reason, that good. The, 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 the reason he said a couple of weeks is because they have to do an internal investigation while they have all the guys there. Okay. So, they can, can, I, can, can, can I interrupt real quick? Right, so yeah, yeah. For everybody at home, I'm going to give you some free legal advice that would normally cost tens of thousands of dollars. When the feds got you, you've got to assume that they've listened to at least nine months of every phone conversation, every email, every text message. So there's three things that you can do. Go in and plead guilty immediately and get the lowest deal possible. Tell first because you get to work a deal. Or if you've got nothing to hide, you wait and you be the last person. And that last person, they already know everything. So you're just confirming rather than telling. That's the only three things you can do on a federal case. They have an over a 98% success rate and a 2% that they miss on. It's because they kick it down to a, a local level where there's another 90% success rate there. There's probably less than a dozen people walking around the United States right now that have beat federal cases. Go ahead, Leonard. Okay, so um, they separate, they start taking, you know, we're in there for a few days and then they start letting us make phone calls home. So everybody's on the phone, everybody's talking. Then they take us to a plea thing or something, you know, where they kind of tell you how do you plead not guilty or not guilty. So um, I noticed there was like five other guys in that room that really were kind of like quiet, weren't really talking to anybody, kind of hanging out. Um, and they wouldn't engage in conversations like the others would. And I, you know, listened to my attorney and was just like, yeah, just sit there, watch TV, shut your mouth and kick back. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be there in a couple of weeks to get you. Just shut up. You know what I mean? Don't, don't, don't talk to anybody. So I'm in there minding my own business. You know, when guys talk to me, I would talk, but you know, they really didn't have anything to throw, like you did this or you did that. So their stories were more amongst themselves. Well, when we go to plead guilty or not guilty, we come back for a day. And then it was a Saturday and Sunday. Then Monday, they take us all back up to the same courthouse that we were at in Lubbock. And they start offering guys a deal like, Hey man, will you take this long for this long? Because we got this crime that we're going to try to take you to court on. And then they take me to the back and they're like, Hey man, just uh, plead, uh, you know, guilty to something. And you're going to go do a boot camp for like six months. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not pleading guilty to anything. I didn't do anything wrong. Like I, you know, I did, I didn't sell drugs and, and uh, they come back and then they tell me, you know, uh, Peter's there at the, or the, my lawyers contacted me and he's telling me, uh, you know, it, it's it just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. We are, we'll be there in, a, in, in like two days and, and you're coming home. And I was like, okay. So um, they take us back to that place they dress us all out, you know, get, get, give us all our back, our street clothes. Uh, me and five other guys rode back. So the conspiracy was not, I don't know what the, what the, the wording was, but there was a lot of people implicated that weren't part of the, the thing. And the police officer that created the whole issue had got caught doing something wrong. And it was, 
it was like a huge mess. Um, but I got to come home and, and uh, that was the end of it, you know? Yeah, very rarely do the feds ever miss. But, you know, like on the high end people, a lot of times they overcharge to make you testify against them. OK, so that's and that's not right either. Like, that's yeah. that's that's not right. So I leave from there. I go back into the WC. Wait a minute. I haven't fought Jens Pover yet. I go. Wait, back wait, wait. You haven't fought Rocky Johnson yet after a three year layoff. Was it Rocky Johnson? Yeah, it's your co-main event April first, two thousand six. After this, this is this is like where where, where I kind of want to go down. So you have three years off, and you're seven and one. Sven Beans obviously tied in with the WEC UFC at this time. I mean, he's got a real good rapport with them. He's on Fight Pass now. And did he tell you you got to win one more fight, and then you go right to the UFC? Mm-mm. So then why did you t- why did you come back after three years? Usually fight careers are in the rearview mirror at that point. So um, I was still, of course, always working out, always training, and I always just wanted to fight. Um, and uh, he had Alvin Robinson, who had gotten injured two weeks before um, the Rocky Johnson fight. So he calls me. And I show up there and I beat Rocky Johnson. And then after that, we're a good show. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it all worked out like just in sequence, it worked out perfectly. So when do you get the call for the UFC to fight Roger Huerta? April 7, 2007. It's like another year. Um, I fought Rocky and then. I come back home and I, I don't know if I broke my wrist or I, okay. So I went to the uh, ultimate fighter five tryout, right. In between this time and that, or ultimate fighter. Yeah, it was five, right. With Nate Diaz, Manny Gambirian. Um, I get flown out for the tryout during the tryout. um, I popped my wrist really bad. Then they got me in a, in a hotel room upstairs, kind of hanging out. Uh, we can't go talk to anybody. Nobody can talk to us. They're bringing our food to the thing. And uh, they take me to go do medicals because I guess I'm going to be I, – I think I'm going to be on the Ultimate Fighter Season 5. And when they do the medicals, they find out that my wrist is uh, fractured. And I had no idea. So um, – you know, when, whenever I went down in the, the, in the grappling portion of the tryout, I guess I fractured my wrist and uh, never even knew it. So I go go to the uh, to, to the MRI thing. They see it. They send me home with the cast on. Um, and then they call me like two and a half weeks later. They called Sven and Alvin again. Alvin is supposed to fight Roger Huerta. And Alvin gets injured, so he calls me again. And he's like, hey, this is an opportunity. I know you're going to do the ultimate fighter, but because you had the broken wrist, you couldn't do it. How's your wrist? I ripped the cast off that day. You know, yeah, it's just like, yeah, the wrist is good. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It didn't hurt before they put the cast on. So I've been in a cast for two weeks, so it's coming off. We'll be ready to go. So I had three and a half weeks to get ready for Roger Huerta. And uh, 
you know, that's what we did. We went to, so, uh, go ahead. yeah, let's, let's, let's frame this properly. It's actually fight of the year candidate and it was fight of the night. Then um, some people were saying it was fight of the year. It's in Houston and you got two boys from Texas, yeah. Roger Huerta, who's 18, one and one and Leonard Garcia, who's 13 and one. <clears throat> and at the time you got Greg Jackson and Dwayne Ludwig in your corner was this before we start breaking on the where to fight? Was this at the time when Diego Sanchez was with Greg Jackson? Yeah. So he also had a falling out with Greg over George St. Pierre working there. Okay. Would you mind breaking down like what it was like working out with Diego at that time? <laughs> so um, Dwayne Ludwig, of course, was was my favorite fighter uh, uh, coming in. Uh, because you know he, he he was not not only related to me, he had a really good kickboxing style. And uh, um, BJ Penn also was one of the fights that I watched uh, the night that I got the call to go to the Ultimate Fighter Five. So of course I always you know uh, uh, held BJ pretty high and, and and things that he is able to do. And number three favorite fighters before I met him was Diego Sanchez. He was my one of my favorite fighters. I could see that. Yeah, you know, because he was on the Ultimate Fighter. He was kind of weird, but he was winning all these fights. Intense. Um, so I meet Diego, right? I come down to, to Jackson's, and, and we're fighting on the same card. So we, we, we train together. And uh, I've always chewed tobacco, like, from, from, from the time I was 12 years old. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a country boy, man. Like, I was born and raised on a ranch. Uh you know, horses, cows, pigs, uh, chickens. So I've always been a tobacco guy um, my entire life, pretty much from 12, 12 years on. Um, I run into Diego and I'm in the gym and we walk out of the gym and he's like, hey, man, uh, you want to go to the movies with us? And I was like, yeah, man, let's go. And I threw a chew in and Diego Sanchez tells me, man, you know, that's probably not the best thing for you. So I'm in my vehicle contemplating quitting chewing because Diego Sanchez just told me that might be bad for you. Well, check this out. We pull up to the movie theater and they're not getting out of their car. Right. They're like all sitting in the car and I'm in my car um, because there was like six of them in that car. I get out of the car because I'm like, man, what? why ain't they getting out yet? I get out of the car and they open up the door and a cloud of smoke is falling out of the car. <laughs> and he's like, hey, you want some? And, you know, at that point in time, I had the realization that, you know, you know, everything that I believed about him probably wasn't as true. So I got, I got all the tobacco that I had in on me at that moment and i horseshoed the, sh the hell out of it man like i <laughs> you know i was contemplating quitting because diego sanchez just told me that's probably not the best thing for you then i roll up on his vehicle and he's in there getting smoked out you know so i don't like uh, yeah it's kind of like when hacksaw jim duggan got caught with the iron cheek doing coke yeah you know what i mean yeah so, so Roger that, that, I lost I a lot of think, respect for, for, for Diego that day. And uh, it definitely changed uh, my, my, my way of thinking of, of, of who he was, you know? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. 
or is the lightning like he did or sit upside down and get hit like a bat or whatever the hell he does. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what, you know, what, what, what his, I, Diego definitely has some mental issues, you know? <laughs> uh, so do you, so have legitimately you legitimately mental, like the ultimate fighter was a preview of it for the world to see. And, uh, you know, he kept getting more and more outrageous. Like remember the yes cartwheels and, you know, all these different things and his stories about aliens and all this stuff. I, I just think he's done a lot of drugs and uh, it, it it ate up. You know, that, it that. wasn't the weed, my friend. It was something else. It was something else. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. He uh, he's an interesting guy. He's yeah. a, but he's 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 made UFC news but not like your lo local cable station news, which yeah. is kind of surprising to me. Like I figured, you know, it just wouldn't be MMA news, you know, that, that he'd be, you know, popping on. Yeah. So Roger Huerta. Okay. Um, you take it, but four weeks notice, five weeks notice. Yeah. UFC 69, notice. Houston, yeah. Texas. Yeah. Two, uh, two guys coming in from that state. Probably, I think this is probably a state title if you had to. <laughs> if we had know, to, yeah. So what was your thoughts going into that fight? Man, you know, I, I was in the UFC. That was that was it. Like I, I I don't remember anything else other than I can't believe I'm walking out and it's a UFC and I'm about to fight Roger Huerta. Or I, I'm about to fight this dude. I didn't even care what his name was. And uh that was it. Like, you know, I I trained really hard for three and a half weeks at an actual MMA camp. Um, so they asked me at Jackson's when I first got there, did, did you wrestle in high school? And I was like, I mean, sometimes. And they're like, well, what do you mean sometimes? I was like, hey, you know, I've had a couple street fights and we kind of tussled a little bit, you know, fell down, had to get back up. They're like, no, 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 no. Did you wrestle in high school? And I was like, Hmm. What is that? Is something you got to think right? about, man. Yeah. So yeah like, the answer is no. Well, um, and then I was like, 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 yeah. I'm telling you, every now and again, like I've I've wrestled, you know. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, like wrestling. Were you on the team? And and <laughs> I said, I said, like, like, like Hulk Hogan. Man, mm -hmm. everybody just burned off. You know what I mean? Everybody takes it off. They're like, what did you just say? But to me, wrestling, like jujitsu was all I had ever seen other than football. Um, and, of course, I had fought some wrestlers. And then, I, of course, we were close to Amarillo. But I never had any wrestling training, you know. So when I went to Greg Jackson's and they asked me that question, um, it was odd, man. Like, I remember uh, they, they, they would try to teach me some stuff. And everything else, but I just had no wrestling background. It was like all jujitsu. I would like pull guard. If if a guy was going to take me down, I thought defensively I'm supposed to pull guard. But that's a takedown in MMA, you know. So uh, I learned a lot in the worth of fight. Uh, you know, a lot about wrestling. <laughs> uh, I think he took me down a hundred times. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, he took me down kind of when he wanted to. But uh, you know, I was able to keep getting up. And, uh, you know, I made, I made a fight of it, man. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I had a great time. 
And then uh, after that fight, we got paid a ton of money because it was like fight, fight of the night bonus. And uh, that was the first time I had ever seen, uh, you know, money in that way, shape or form. So it was like it was it was a lot of fun. And that's when I said, you know, I'm never doing jujitsu again. I'm just going to start training all stand up because that's what people want to see. You know, okay, so let's let, let's kind of rewind just a little bit. So the fight starts first off, Roger Huerta's on a 12 fight win streak, and he's kind of like the uh, becoming a poster boy of the UFC. They wanted a Spanish speaking Hispanic, yeah, yeah because they, they just it didn't exist at this point, at least at that level. And in the first round, um, you had him in a guillotine choke, and you had a big smile on him. Did you think you had it? No. He slammed me and uh, I lost it, but I was like laughing because he is like, he, he said something when he slammed me, he was like, oh, like, like he had done something to hurt me. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was more of a like, man, you didn't do anything to me. You know, more of that type of smile. Um, if I thought I had the guillotine, I definitely wouldn't have been smiling. I'd have been leaning back on that back shoulder. <laughs> the joke. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was more of a like, man, you didn't do anything, you know? Okay. So we're just throwing a lot of Taekwondo style kicks and in between rounds, you know, you got your corner there and it was, it was a hard round for you. They're telling you it can't get worse than this. You know, it's, it's only going to get better. And you're like, he ain't got no power. Yeah. It, I, I was shocked at that. Yeah, he uh, he was hitting me and it didn't like it wasn't bothering me at all. So I was like, you know, he he, he doesn't hit hard, you know. So my my uh, my assumption of it was here in a minute, I'm going to land a good shot and turn turn this thing around. I'm going to stop all these takedowns with punches, you know, because I didn't know how to stop the takedown. So I was like, he's going to run out of juice in a minute. But, you know, of course, he had great cardio and it ended up being. Phenomenal cardio, like world-class cardio. Yeah, I, mean, I, I had no idea that, that, that his cardio was good. The fight before that I had seen was like a 19-second. He just bulldozed a guy. So um, when when we were going to fight, I was expecting like a big shock when he hit me, like, oh, hell, you know, I better be ready. I better be on the lookout for the next one. But it was more of a he hit me, and I was like, just keep hitting me if you want to. You know, let's let's go. So in the beginning of the second round, you yelled at something at him in Spanish. What did you tell them? I enseñarle cómo pelean los mexicanos. Let's show them how those Mexicans fight. That's I was awesome. Trying to, I was trying to get him to stand up, just an all-up stand-up war, not any wrestling takedowns. And so I was hoping by pushing on his Mexican machismo, I could pull a stand-up <laughs> war out of him. But, you know, of course, he kept alluding to the takedowns. So I was kind of upset by it, but. Okay, so at the end of the fight, both guys they go head to head. Yeah, they kneel down center center cage. What was said between you two? Was it was a there was a in depth conversation? I mean, you guys bonded that night. He uh, he told me he said, you know, you're you're, you're probably the the toughest guy I've ever fought. And and you know, I, I was like, man, thank you. You know, I appreciate it. You know, you kind of got me. You know, like you 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 won with takedowns, kind of. I could feel it on my face that 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 last little sequence when you're on top of me, you're landing some good shots. So we kind of had an in-depth conversation about the fight, but he was like, man, this was a great fight. Did you feel the crowd? You know, he was like coaching me on being in the UFC is how I took it. Um, That's cool. 
it was cool, man. You know, I, I've got a lot of respect for Roger. Um, he, you know, he was, he, he, he made a, a, a really big climb. The, the uh, one thing we'll, we'll talk about in a second. The one thing that, that bothered me most was being the dude that got dunked on, on sports illustrated about that fight. So yeah. You made the cover of Sports Illustrated first time yeah. ever a UFC yeah. athlete. Yep. Yeah, so it was a great kick by Roger Huerta, and I'm getting like, you know, kicked in the stomach, pushed in the corner. So I'm the dude that got dunked on, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but at least you weren't the guy getting knocked out. It wasn't. You're not on somebody's highlight video. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It it, it worked out. It it was cool to be on there. It just you know it had that little sting to it, you know, because. You know, I was kind of like, I took the kick, so my body naturally went down. So it looked worse than what it was, but it was definitely cool just making the cover. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. For I, sure. And I, I was a little thought bit of a curse. Weird, like, what happened to Haraja Hawaii to, like, I mean, he did he ask for too much money? Because he didn't do a long spit in the UFC after that. He kind of faded away. It was kind of a weird thing for so much positive going on, so much hype behind him, and it just kind of, didn't ever materialize like I thought it would. He uh he became a superstar. Uh uh he he was he became kind of McGregor before McGregor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, but he didn't so, he didn't parlay it. He just kind of yeah, you know what I mean? Um so he 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 uh was dating uh Donna from the 70s show. Uh you know the the, the girl that plays Donna on there. I can't remember her name. What is, is that the red? redhead girl? Yeah, the redhead girl. Oh, he I starts dating her. Um you know, he gets, you know, some calls about some movies and then uh, he goes out there and has a bad showing against uh, Kenny Florian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he just kind of went downhill from there, man. I thought I think he thought uh, he was going to make it big in, in, in the movie industry and uh, kind of took his focus off fighting and, and just kind of he was it. doing tons of interviews like he was complaining that. He was doing so many interviews that, and the UFC kept scheduling them, that he didn't have time to actually train. Okay. That's how many interviews he was doing. And, and he was like, they're not even paying me. I'm doing these interviews for free. He was like the first guy to say, I got the McGregor fame. I just don't have the McGregor money. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, he wasn't, you know, like he was winning fights, but he wasn't like knocking guys out. He wasn't taking people out. He was just kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, man. He was he was fairly dominant, but it wasn't like. I mean, other than my fight with Roger, he had another good fight with who else? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, so didn't do real I, well in one either. Like he 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 hit a skid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so, for sure. So from there, you know what? Who was is Sven Bean managing you at this time? Yes. Okay, he's doing a real good job with okay. you because I mean, Huerta, not an easy fight, yeah. but they do you a super solid. They give him Florian, murderer, and they they give you Monster Lobster, um, yeah. Rob Kahn's student, Alan Baruby. Yeah, that was a great, great, great show. As a free paycheck. Yeah. So um, because I was on uh, season five of the Ultimate Fighter, but didn't make the cast because of my hand being broken. They needed somebody to fight the lobster, and I got the call. So it was kind of a gimme. <laughs> yeah. And, you yeah. know, we've had Rob Kahn on here. Fantastic interview with him. 
Um, he was kind of like the kingmaker at that time with the Ultimate Fighter. I think, I think the first, I think he had like seven people on the first like six seasons. Like he had like two students on okay. one of the years. So yeah, Rob Rob kind of actually really made a, you know, made a presence you know from the Tampa Bay area on, on that show. From there, I mean, you were naked choke first round. Barubi, I, I don't think Barubi ever really fights yeah. in the UFC again. He kind of drops a couple more fights and he's done. Um, You go and fight Cole Miller, not an easy fight at UFC fight night, uh, September 19, 2007. And this is your second fight of the night. Yeah. Um, And I had bronchitis. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, man. So uh, I don't know if you guys ever get Dwayne Ludwig on here, but Dwayne cornered me for that fight. And uh, he was trying to call the fight a couple days before because I wasn't I mean I couldn't sleep I would you know the bronchitis is real weird it doesn't hit you till it's time to go to bed and you start coughing and coughing and coughing so I coughed so much I busted the capillaries in my nose and my nose would start bleeding um we did that neti pot you know where where you stick one tube on one side of the nose yeah UFC actually hooked that up for me where they brought like a big pot uh, drained each side and that way I could sleep for a couple hours and get you know go cut weight and uh, I was sweating like crazy um, I made 151 that fight and didn't really even cut weight I uh, just was just so sick that I kept you know I kept I wasn't eating much of course you don't eat the last week of your fight very much anyways but I had cut down so low because of the sickness that that it was terrible um, and you know, you like I said, if you get Dwayne on here, he'll tell you a story. Oh, we'll get him. Yeah, they we changed, love Dwayne. They changed my bed sheets two times because I sweated through the sweated through the sheets. You know, like Damn. the whole everything. Why didn't you pull out? Because I wanted to fight. I I, <laughs> I thought I thought Cole Miller was a really good matchup for me. And I thought, you know, he's a, he's a skinnier kid. He's a little taller. If I just land a big shot, I'll knock him out. And I did land that big shot in the third round and dropped him. Um, but, you know, of course, I went into his guard and he got the long legs and, you know, did the defensive stuff and then was able to uh, – he held me down, actually, uh, with jiu-jitsu. Um, he got a triangle choke for a little while, and I got out of that. He got an arm bar. I got out of that. Um yeah, it was crazy him. dominant chain wrestling submission. Yeah, he was just, the yeah, first he, two rounds. He, he he danced he danced on me uh jiu-jitsu wise. I, I had no real like uh answer. Yeah, I had yeah. no strength either, man. It was like all of my friends were like, dude, you looked weak in there, you know, like what's wrong? And I was like, Yeah, I'm sick, you know. Like I, I was tired, I sounded funny even after in the interview, I sound all congested and I'm like blowing my nose and during the fight, I blew tons of boogers on poor uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, I felt bad after the fight. But it was like a he was your Kleenex. Fight. Yeah, yeah, I, he was. He was definitely my Kleenex. He was on me like a Kleenex. So it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely uh, a, a really. That was the toughest fight I've ever had. No man. Well, let's talk about the start of the third round. I just came out and threw a freaking. Uh, Hail Mary and landed it, you know? Nice. Almost knocks out Miller. 
Yeah, it, and it, was, it was like right there, man. I felt like if I'd have had, you know, a little more oomph or a little more, you know, a, a, a quicker step, I would have knocked him out. Um, of course, I landed up higher on the head, so it took a little bit off of it. But if I'd have hit him in the chin, you know, I was hopeful that it would have knocked him out. Now, now, Leonard, let me ask you. I had a fight like that where, I mean, I just was sick. And, I mean, I remember going into the third round, I was like, you almost just feel like I can't. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Did you feel yeah. like that? Going like I can't do anything, man. I just yeah. I, I felt like that, and I didn't. I didn't land that big punch that you did. So <laughs> I lost the decision. But man, I just remember after the. I knew the first round was my best chance, and uh, after the first round was over, I didn't get a submission or a knockout. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, man. It's yeah. it's the most depress not depressing, helpless feeling you have. That's, well, you just got to go out there two more rounds and you can't do anything. It's the worst feeling of all, but you landed a big punch. I wasn't able to do that, man. I just took it. And and that's, yeah, I took it for two rounds. And then I was like, okay, you got to do something. And and uh, I blew my nose really well in the corner. And I felt like, okay, I got a little bit of breath. I'm going to give it hell. And then I did. And I thought I had him. And then, you know, like uh, I walked over to him and looked at him and he was still up. So I was like, dang it. I tried to start punching him. And uh, he went for an armbar, and I landed another big punch. But it was like, after that, I was done. It was like, you know, I remember we grappled around for a little while, and he was like all over me, man. That, that them tall, lanky dudes in their jiu-jitsu. It's just, I was just escaping, 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 escaping. But I felt terrible the whole time. After the fight, I remember I walked off, and I go back there, and Dwayne's like not getting close to me because he doesn't want to get sick because he's going to fight soon. So he like throws the towel over my head. He's like, all right, buddy, I'll be back. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was the worst feeling to be in a fight while being sick. It, it, it didn't feel good. Like it, I, I tell everybody that was the toughest fight I ever had. Wow. Wow. Well, at the end, you think the Diaz brothers. Okay. You said, I? uh, I, Oh no. Cole thinks the Diaz brothers. Okay. The I apologize. Uh, yeah. So your next fight is your 145 pound debut at WEC 32. Finally, a division for a weight class that's more suited towards yourself um, comes into existence. And he, Chris, this is the type of salad that Reed Harris does for him. Yeah. And I, I think it's due to the medical bills that you charged him earlier. They give him the number five ranked guy in the world, Hiroko Takaya. Yeah, that was and not uh, an easy fight, man. Yeah, he, he he was uh <laughs> he was tough, man. I remember watching a lot of his fights and he had a hell of a left hook. And and, uh, and it's like I feel like I have a crazy story for every fight. Dwayne broke, I mean not Dwayne, Cowboy broke my jaw three days before that fight. No way. Yep. Um he caught how does that happen? We were drilling takedowns because the game plan <laughs> for that fight was to take down. Cowboy throws a flying knee while I'm drilling takedowns, messing around, and the knee connected. And I grabbed you his guys leg. We, yeah, we went down, and I was like, oh, hell, and my tooth broke. It broke all the way up into my tooth, so it broke my tooth. So I'm bleeding from my tooth, oh. and – it's pain, like sharp, sharp, sharp pain. I try to rinse my mouth out, and the cold water kills me. And there, we had a dentist there, 
right? So the dentist says, let's go do a root canal because you, you probably have an abscess too. So they did the root canal and he gave me, he gave, gave me a painkiller. So I take the painkiller and I go to bed and I wake up and I'm like, oh man, it's still bad. Um, we go in and he x-rays my mouth and I have a line in my jaw um, that goes straight down and then over. So um, it broke down and then back. So my jaw didn't dislocate. It didn't dislodge. It was just a thin line there. He thinks that it was fractured. And when he did the root canal, all the drilling and everything, because he never found the abscess in the tooth. He just took my roots out and stuck some plugs in there and capped it. And uh, went back in and, and my jaw was broken. Like it was, it, it had a line in it. So um, I just figured I don't want to pay for this. So I'm going to go ahead and fight. And if this dude hits me one time, uh, I can say that he broke my jaw and they're going to pay for it. So we'll be in good shape. Hey, man, um, dude, that is that. That right there, ladies and gentlemen, is a blue collar bring your lunch to work guy. <laughs> Chris, as a fellow union man hey. like myself, that's a smart. That's a smart guy. Right hey, there. My favorite thing was like back in the day after every UFC, you know, about fifteen fighters would be at the hospital, and yeah. it'd be like you could have a thirty second fight where you landed three punches, lock them out, and you'd be like, "Well, I hurt my back, and uh, my knee hurts, and my yeah. shoulder. I heard this in the fight, and like you won a fifteen second. But that was the only way you get shit paid for, Mike. Yeah. Was you had no insurance, and the only way you get shit paid for was by saying. Fight night, you got hurt. So no matter what, everybody went to the hospital. It was hilarious. And everybody, yeah. you go to the hospital, hey, go? you can tell pretty much by the look on somebody's face. But everybody went because they had to. Yeah, you too? Yeah, yeah, me we, too. We, we, call, we call it hilarious. The UFC lawyers might call it fraud. I don't know. Here was the thing, too. Joe Silva comes up to me right after the fight. He says, are you serious? A broken jaw? And I was like, God dang it. Who told him? And uh, somebody had already told Joe that I, that my jaw was broken coming into the fight. Um, so here's I messed thing. that up for you. Who, me? Uh, That's what you said. It, it, it was cool. It never dislodged. So, uh, uh, you know, there's really nothing they can do. Um, they put braces on, on, on the, these four teeth and braces on the other ones, stuck some rubber bands in there. They didn't wire it shut because it wasn't dislodged. The way it broke was was back, so it was holding it together. Um, and I have like a small calcium deposit now in in my jawline there. Thank uh, you, cowboy. Yeah, so thank you, cowboy. And uh, <laughs> we were in the back, and I remember, you know, Dwayne. Everybody like Dwayne was holding pads for me, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, uh, just cut loose, man. Just go out there and have fun." And uh, here, here's the, the, the most interesting thing about that fight. I was so scared to get hit that all my senses were on. You know what I mean? Like I, I was like, I was dodging. I was moving. You're wired. Yeah. Hypersensitive so, and aware. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was super cool because uh, it, it created that, uh, you know, technique actually, you know, it made me more technical. And uh, yeah. of course I was never known for, being technical, but I, I definitely was way more technical that night because. Wow. So Joe Silva, how you mentioned, how did the conversation go with you two about your broken? Job? 
that 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 was it. That was it. That was the full conversation. He was like, "Are you kidding me? A broken jaw?" And then I started, you know, I was like, "Yeah, you know, I wasn't gonna pull out though." And he was like, "I know, man, I know." And he kind of gave me a hug and he bumped my jaw, and I was like, "God dang it, Joe!" And I, I told him, I was like, "Now I'm gonna tell him you headbutted me and broke my jaw." So we laughed about it. And, uh, you know, it, it was cool, man. They fixed my jaw, got uh, the knockout of the night bonus, so it worked out really well for me. You know, the thing with that as well is you got a guy that's a highly touted guy, you know, fighter from Japan, and his pre-fight interview is, yeah, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. And up until this point, you really only you're, – you're legitimately a submission guy, even though everyone listening to this podcast is going to yeah. go, no, no, man, fan, and they're going to list, you know, all these other wars that you had been in. But the reality of the situation is this is your first knockout. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh it was well, the head kick knockout and well, uh by your by way of fist. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it was it, it really was. So the the thing was is I favored jujitsu so early on, I would hurt a lot of guys <laughs> and then was able to lock the submissions in when they were hurt, like Justin James with the rear naked choke, you know, same thing. He tried to pull me down with the head and arm takedown, and I just slipped up to his back. But before then, I was socking him up pretty good. Um, I always had good power. It's just I never, uh, you know, was was so aware. Like with Takaya, I had no thoughts of going to the ground because I didn't want to bump my mouth. You know, I didn't want I didn't want any of that. I wanted it to be all stand up. So uh, it it definitely, you know turn that switch on. And, and then after I got that knockout, it's just like everybody knows once you knock somebody out with a punch, you know, it's kind of a drug. You, you, you definitely get addicted to that feeling. So you can <laughs> it every time. That's good. That's good. So you, you, you asked for a title fight, you know, you're Leonard Garcia. Come on, brother. I need a title fight. And they line you up with an absolute legend at WEC 36 against Jens Pulver. So that was that was probably one of the highest points of, of, of life for me because, uh, you know, Jens was was Jens, you know, and, and uh, you know, I'd always, you know, I seen him beat BJ Penn the first time and BJ was, of course, one of my favorite fighters. So, um, you know, he had just gone five rounds with Uriah Faber and uh, it was it was just a huge fight for me, man, a huge uh, platform for me to, to to come out on top of and and I definitely put everything into that fight well you know the one surprising thing to me is one you're not the same fighter anymore like whatever fighter we saw of Leonard Garcia you I mean you just said it you know knocking somebody out becomes a drug and you become addicted to it and you're not there's levels in people's like fight lives exactly. and you've not only upped your level, you're actually, you don't even appear to be the same person exactly. in terms of how you're performing. Yeah. I so it was definitely a good switch for me with Takaya being the number five guy. I was in the top 10 rankings. I had gone from the UFC where I was just a guy that had a good fight with Roger Huerta. I had the ability to fight at my own weight now where I was really comfortable at fighting because I didn't have to fight a bigger guy. I didn't have to fight this. I was fighting guys that were my size. And uh, I felt like I had a lot more confidence in my power after that fight. So it, it definitely turned the switch. 
Well, well, let's, hey, Chris, no, no, let's really like break this down, Chris, both of you guys, Chris and Miguel. This guy's got about six years of off time <laughs> on the independent circuit. And then he, he, he's fighting a former world champion that just lost, you know, in the title fight against, against your right favor. How, how does this manifest? Time and place. Yeah. You know, you dodge a federal case. I mean, and, and you know, the only reason you dodged it, I, I, Leonard, I, I, I must admit, man, I, I met you in Cancun, Mexico, you know, at the bare knuckle thing. I had an absolute just misconception of who you were. Your nickname's the bad boy. You get pulled <laughs> into a federal case. Yeah. And yeah, just I don't drink, you know, you don't smoke weed, don't, you know, you just chew, you know, don't. Yeah. I, I honestly like I which Diego is still against, I believe. By the way, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but but like when you when you're pulling into like Jens Pulver, I'm thinking, man, this guy is you know, doing the John Jones thing. You know, you got it in fifth gear and you're looking for six, but the car doesn't go there. Yeah. You know, based on the little track record that the public knew about you. Like, to, yeah. to me, this is just the shocking revelation is just how, you know, laid back and easy and, <laughs> you know, cautious you are in regards to life. Yet you're jumping in with one of the greatest fighters ever yeah. in the 155 pound weight class at 145. Yeah. So Jens Pulver, um, Dwayne Ludwig is not in your corner. Dwayne had a, what did Dwayne have when I fought Jen? <clears throat> he had a fight somewhere else right around the same time. And he was training, can't remember where he was training, but he wasn't able to make it. Okay. Yeah. Was, I, I thought maybe there was a split. Like I, I had no idea that you know, no, your cousin no. was married to him. Yeah. Um, you go from there and they give you a title fight against Mike Brown. Holy cow. Mike Brown is a savage. Yeah. So what happened after the Pulver fight is what happens to a lot of fighters. Um, I thought I was invincible. I thought, you know, you could hit me with a brick wall and I'd still be standing there after all the bricks disintegrated. And Mike Brown was a different type of brick wall. Um, I walked right into a punch. And uh, I think it should have knocked me out, but I was so stubborn and hard-headed that it didn't. <laughs> Open and, up a cut. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a hell of a shot. I mean, he caught me. Yeah, I mean, my legs just went. I remember thinking, like, my legs are gone, and then the ground slapped me in the face. And I was like, oh, hell, I'm still fighting. I turn <laughs> around, and he lands. I don't know how many punches. And uh, the whole time he's throwing punches, I'm trying to think, like, okay, at get tired so I can get my turn in. And uh, I tried to reverse him. He goes into uh, uh, what he came into my guard. I tried to reverse him. Then he passes. And then when he passed, he got that head and arm choke. And the funniest thing went through my mind when he had that head and arm choke. My arm was right underneath his armpit here. Now I had my mouthpiece in. I couldn't breathe. So I was trying to spit my mouthpiece out so I could bite him to get out of it. Uh, uh, which probably wasn't a, a great idea, but it's what was going through my head at the time as I was being choked. And uh, I did, I, you know, I definitely didn't get a good bite because of my mouthpiece, and and he choked me out. How strong was I? Though I tried to bite him, <laughs> I, I did. I'm, I'm telling you guys the truth. 
Uh, you, you I know, love it. Yeah, I was under there and I was like, I'm not getting out of this. It's in there tight. And I seen where, you know, I, like I could see his body there and my mouth was right there. And I was like, okay, just get a good bite in. He'll let you go and then just get up and say your mouthpiece or something. And uh, I tried to bite him and it didn't work, man. He choked me. Yeah. How strong was he? Very, very, very strong. Uh, it was, it was a, uh, you know, it happened so quickly because he dropped me and then he got on top of me and it felt like, it felt like I was a little kid underneath a grown man, man. He was just manhandling me. And uh, that's, that's why I think I, my mind re resorted to, man, just bite this dude and get him off, you know, and start fighting. Uh, because that's, that's where I was at that moment. I felt pretty helpless. So it sucked. I've done that in training before. Somebody's put me in something. I started to buy me. He's like, did you just try and bite me? I was like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do it. just happens, dude. It's I, not I, like I, an audible thought. It's just like, I got to get out of here. I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, wow. that's exactly how I was there at that place. And, and, and uh, I remember it, it sucked because it was in Corpus Christi, Texas. Of course, my home state. And I was thinking I was an invincible man. And then I go in there and get bulldozed by Mike Brown. And I was like, God dang it, man. How did this happen? Uh, but yeah. Yeah, we, we've heard, we've had several people on here say that he has unhuman strength. Yeah, it was it was odd. I, I mean, would I do it all over again? Yes. Of course. Uh, would, you know, the, is there some things that I've seen that I felt like, man, if I had just done this, but again, you know, sitting back in hindsight, you you think of so many different things, and I didn't think of it in the moment. So it definitely passed me. And uh, Mike Brown opened up my eyes to a lot of different things. You know, he 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 uh, he did what I did my last fight. Um, he was very prepared, and at the weigh-ins, he came and got right in my face. Like I mean, he walked up on me. And uh, I took a page out of Mike Brown's book for my last fight in bare knuckle. You know, I walked up and I got in this dude's face and just let him know, like, nothing you got is going to work against me and I'm going to come for you. So that's what Mike Brown did to me uh, during during the, the weigh-ins of that fight. And I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, uh, he, he, he kind of got a little mental warfare during that stare down. Yeah. I, so, you know, we you always concentrate on the beginnings of MMA and you kind of break people's careers down. Do you have a little bit more time? Because rather than go to your next fight, I'd kind of like to talk about your bare knuckle career. Okay. Do you have time? I mean, I know we're yeah, taking a lot. Yeah, come on. All right, cool. So, Chris, dude, Leonard was the main event for the time that I went and saw you fight in Cancun, February 2nd, 2019 at uh, BKFC 4. You fought Julian Lane. Dude, yeah. one, you're up a weight class. Yeah. And you're fighting a guy with heavy hands. He's got yeah. bazookas and Julian Lane. Man, this fight lived up to the hype. <laughs> can, can I can I take it back at one second though? Yes. Okay, your last MMA fight was 214. Now you're two nights, five years. Talk a little bit about getting that bare knuckle bite, that buzz over the sport, because we heard Chris talk about it. A lot of people talk about it. How did it hit you? So, um, mind you, okay, so look, uh, we'll go, uh, we'll, we'll just close out the MMA career real quick. Um, no, we got, we're, we're going to get you another time for the rest of your career. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, so, so mind you, 
I go through this MMA career. I, I get cut from the UFC in 2014. They tell me, go to Legacy, win the title, we'll bring you back, and we'll throw you right back in the mix. I go to Legacy, I win the title, I come back, and they offer me like a commentating gig because now I guess I'm not, you know, as exciting as Conor McGregor. Really? Jose Aldo. So they offered See, me. It's not a bad thing. Well, you know, um, at the time, I'm restarting life in a different light. Like, uh, you know, I'm 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 married now. I'm uh, uh, you know really committed to going to church. Uh, I've got kids. Life is just good, and I'm trying to get back into this MMA scene with a family life you know what i mean make like, another run back to ufc yeah. and make my last run as a family man everything's in check everything life is good and then they offered me a job commentating which is decent pay but i'm gone every week you know big difference so yeah it didn't make sense you know the money didn't make sense the the amount of time away didn't make sense so i i declined that offer and i lost my taste for competition and I went back and had two other MMA fights but it was just kind of like well I'll make some quick money and that'll be the end of it so I walked away from MMA with a bad taste in my mouth like uh it was just odd like I just didn't feel good about it but I definitely didn't want to compete in MMA anymore because I did what they wanted to do I came back and then they didn't bring me back so I felt betrayed by the sport and I leave and I go to work in a nine-to-five family life everything's good. And then I start hearing about bare knuckle and Chris is doing bare knuckle. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of these guys are doing it and uh, Beltron is doing bare knuckle. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of cool. It, 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 you know, I'm watching it, I'm paying attention and uh, I'm at work and I had just beaten the, like, like uh, uh, got out of a, big rut with the IRS because my time in the UFC wasn't so, uh, so great as far as taxes go. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they just had a 10, eight round. Yeah. round for sure. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I cleared that, got all that taken care of and I'm living life and Dave Feldman gives me a call. And he sends me the uh, Beltron and Lopez fight. And I told him, oh, no, I'm very aware of it. I, you know, I see it. And then he offers me Julian Lane, um, you know, the let me bang guy. And I was thinking, you know, of course, I'm 180 pounds now. Um, haven't trained in three and a half years, but I was no stranger to doing that in my career all along. You know what I mean? I would take lots of time off. And then just come back and train like a madman and then go fight. Um, so I accepted it. I had to talk my wife into it because she was done <laughs> with the fight scene. Uh, she was pregnant at the time. So it was, it was a tough talk. Um, but I got, it was in Cancun, Mexico. We had never been. Uh, it was kind of cool. We we're going to get to get away from the kids for a little while. And even though we had a kid in the belly, it was still time for me and her alone, you know, away from the family. So it was kind of cool. Um, and I thought I could beat Julian Lane, who was, uh, you know, the British champion or something. And they told me that there might be some title implications. So I was like, listen, you know, I made a deal with my wife. 
I made a deal with the company that I worked for and I made a deal with God. And uh, those three deals all came to fruition at the end. I wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to be, you know, have great fights that people are going to remember. But this first fight was the ticket to it all. So I got up from work, called my boss, told him what was going on. He told me to go for it. I take off from work. I go to Cowboy Serona Ranch in, in New Mexico. I go to Jackson's MMA. I train like a crazy man for four weeks and then have one week to cut weight. And then I get to fight Julian Lane. And uh, that painted a picture in my head where I thought I'm going to beat anybody as long as I just drop work for six weeks and, 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 and train. Um, so I get in there, I fight Julian, I weather the early storm, I come back on strong and I'm like, man, I love this. I absolutely love bare knuckle. Um, and I go back to work afterwards, you know, people are, are talking about fights again. The house is full of people talking about my next fight, this, that, this, that, <laughs> go back to work. Then I get the phone call for Jason Knight. Well, could, could we, could we rewind just a yeah. little bit? Go ahead. Chris, we're in the middle of Donald Trump sending up mean tweets and hurting lots and lots Hurt of people's feelings. feelings Mike. Yeah. Man, and let me tell you something. There's nothing more important than feelings. Never mind Leonard Straw, <laughs> his eye, his body. None of that. Feelings yeah. are more important. People's feelings. Yeah. 100%. So after he beats Julian Lane, which is a classic, back and forth and it's got it's got over a million views so it's not like i gotta say go and watch it anyone listening to this podcast probably has already seen it so it's an amazing fight back and forth leonard would you mind if you could word for word give us your post fight speech in mexico in cancun so during during my time in mexico we're there course i'm i'm a conservative republican from texas and uh you know i'm 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 for a lot of the things that donald trump is doing um don't really have issues with him at all i'm actually thought he was the one of the best presidents of of my lifetime um and we go to cancun mexico and one of the fighters gets a picture of donald trump and rips it in half so that brought a lot of politics into conversations that people were asking me due to the fact that I was representing Team Mexico, but was from the United States and from Texas. So they, they asked me a lot of political questions, you know, not during the interviews, but before the interviews. So I was really vo voicing how I felt. And after the fight, you get this euphoric feeling and everything you want to say just starts coming out. So <laughs> I uh, want to make a point to everybody that I am a Trump supporter. Uh, and if you look at my wife's face during the interview behind me, her and Cowboy are standing behind me. And the second I start talking about Trump, Cowboy's back there cheering, pumping his arms. And my wife has got a baby in her stomach because she's thinking, we're not going to make it home. Like <laughs> he got through the fight, he got the belt, but now we're going to die. Um, and that never registered to me. It did. It was like, 
Uh, it was the greatest heel turn. Like it was almost something out of pro wrestling. Yeah. Hey, if, if there would have been a if there would have been a crowd there, they would have turned against us. You know, yeah. and, and let, let's let's like make this come this full circle. David Feldman that night, what he had to tolerate, what he had put up with, what he had experienced, man, I think most people would have pulled the plug on that show. Like he had people working their ass off to sabotage the show. Oh yeah, at weigh-ins, like some Mexican dude, you know, like a local. Can- can strong arm him. Yeah, mafia guy try to come strong arm him, making him deposit money into the ATM. And I and I I gotta hand it to him, man. Like that guy's the real deal, man. Like he they they tore down all of his posters. They, you know, they made sure that it was bad press, if any, and then they realized it was helping him, so they gave him zero press. And um, no man, that guy, hey, man. He, there were a lot of miles earned that night for him. Yeah. You know, last sleepless nights, but he he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, he did. He did. It was, it was a great it, night. You know, Leonard, it is amazing to me when people don't realize. I think it's the adrenaline that goes into your body. Like, and, and after you have a fight and you're speaking on that mic, it's almost like you're looking at yourself from outside your body. And you're going, "What the hell are you talking about?" And you realize it later on when you watch. You're like. Did I say that? Like yeah. you don't even realize the stupid shit you're saying sometimes. You're like, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> He's in the middle of Cancun talking yeah. like, yeah, I'm pro-Trump. You know, the Mexicans were like, yeah, we won USA versus Mexico. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious, dude. It, it was, it, yeah. it was, I was sitting back was, laughing my ass off. It was, it, it was uh, and, and like I said, you don't realize things until you get out of the ring and then like, my wife is like clinging to me, like we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here, and uh, we get back to the hotel room, and I get sit stuff, and they're like, "You did you really pretty much start the build the wall chant out in the middle of the ring in Cancun, Mexico?" And I was like, "Did I?" And they were like, "Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, was, yeah, you did. It was, yeah. It was yeah. crazy, man. It was it was nuts, but." Uh, we made it home safely, so somebody was looking out for us. Dude, it was – I'm like – I think, Chris, I think we're sitting next to each other with, with Joe Riggs, and I'm like, grabbing you like, this is he, – he's turning heel. He's turning heel. Um, from there, um, August 10, 2019, Jim Allers, who is at this point red hot. Yeah. So I had no idea who Jim Allers was. Absolutely. He's a jujitsu guy. Yeah. So um, Dave Feldman calls me. I'm in uh, New Mexico training. I'm three and a half weeks into the training camp. And he's like, dude, I got bad news. And I was like, what happened? Um, uh, uh, Jason Knight has a rib injury and he's not going to be able to fight. So I was like, dang it, man. Can you imagine Leonard Garcia, Jason Knight? Yeah, that would (sighs) have been great. So, uh, He's like, I'm going to find you a last-minute replacement. So, mind you, remember, five years off, four weeks of hard training, and I beat Julian Lane. Now, I'm up there three and a half weeks into my camp. My opponent pulls out. They're going to find some fluffer to bring in. So, I packed everything up from New Mexico, and I came home. I came to my house in Texas, came back. My wife's like, what's going on? I was like, man, my opponent got hurt. 
they found some jujitsu guy that's going to fill in and, you know. And that's what he was. Yeah. Some jujitsu guy. Yeah. yeah. You think gonna, it's I'm, an easy fight, though. Yeah. <laughs> On paper, it is. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to cream this dude. I'm just going to finish my camp here. Um, you know, it'll be good. So I go in and I nonchalantly finish my training camp. I cut all the way down to 155, which I hadn't done in quite some time. Um, and I get there and I'm thinking like, okay, you know, whatever. He looks tough. It's going to be a good fight. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cream this dude. And we go out there and he punched me right in the eyeball. Like didn't hit the bone here, here. He hit directly in the eyeball with the very first jab of the fight and it squished my eyeball when i say squished like it i was going in full for force with the one two because i'm thinking i just got to hit this jiu-jitsu guy one time he has these long arms and he just throws his jab out there and it squished my eyeball and froze me for like two or three seconds i was like yeah. oh hell what the hell is that <laughs> We start going, and I'm, I remember during the whole round, I, I wasn't hurt by his punches. Like, I don't know. If you watch the fight, it looked a lot worse than it was, but I, I was like, I had no bearings to me. I, like, I had no vision in my left eye. I could just see a blur sticking, like a big red blur. And I'm like, man, just get close to me so I can hit you and <laughs> even this thing up. So I'm swinging at anything there like if the ref wasn't careful he was going to get punched um i remember you know i remember every time he's telling me can you see like he's counting and he's looking at my eye and i'm thinking like he's not stopping it so my eye didn't fall out of my face but something's definitely wrong with my eye um and you know i made jim look a lot better than i felt that he was to be honest with you um he went on a hell of a run though yeah uh I don't know, man. I think stylistically, he's just got that swarm you and he's got that Roger Worth uh, uh, cardio. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, he, he, he did, uh, you know, get Julian, but Julian fought him shortly after we fought. And to be honest with you, I think those shots that I hit Julian with affected his chin at that weight class. And then he drops all the way down to 55. So it made his chin a little more questionable. Because now you see him fight at – what's he fighting at now, Chris? 85? He, he fought at 75 his last fight. Okay. I so it was 85. 85. 75. No. Now, so was it? His chin is, you know, holding up really well. So I think the weight cut for Maybe him was. 65 is, is a little bit tough. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think Caleb Harris is definitely a tough fight, and I know Jim won that one. But – I just feel like I made Jim look better than he was because he 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 hurt my eyeball. To be honest with you, I, I'm not taking anything away from him. He did a no, great but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah, he he landed a good shot. He won fair and square. There, it wasn't nothing illegal. He didn't stick his finger in my eye. It was a full on knuckle, and that's part of the fight game. So um, I'm not discrediting him any. I just feel like I made him look really good that night. Well. And Leonard, I, I've seen a couple guys who got hit in the eyeball, and, and it's weird. I've never seen that in in boxing, bare or regular MMA, anything. But I've seen it happen a couple of times in bare knuckle. And when it happens, people, 
The other person I've seen happen, he, he dropped down and the fight was over. He's like, I never had that. I couldn't fight. So, yeah. I mean, just you keep fighting says a lot, but man, I'm like, it's not a normal thing to get hit in the eyeball, hit in the eye yeah. socket, whatever. But the other person I saw, he dropped and it was over. He never got up. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, that was just weird. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a pain and a feeling like it's unexplainable. Like I never had my bearings after that punch. And then even coming home afterwards, my eye was, I, I saw I lost a little bit of pressure in my eyeball. They had to numb it a month and a half later, numb it, stick me in a dark room for four and a half hours for the pressure to come back into the eyeball to make it normal again. Um, I didn't have a retina detachment, which was, crazy to them because uh, I had a hickey on my eyeball though. Um, I'll send you guys a picture of my eyeball after the fight on Instagram. That way you guys can see it. It's like for reals, I had a hickey on my eyeball. Like it smuts <laughs> the eye to the point where it had um, like a bruising. Out, out of that eye, I could see spots of red so that was the blood vessels in the eye that were mushed together and the reflection from my eyeball would come out. And um, I didn't know if I was ever going to see normally for wow. two months after that fight. No, no way. That I was ever going to get straight vision. Uh, I mean, not straight, but like without blotches Clear and, and uh, you know, just a, a constant like blob in the in, in parts of my like little pieces like seeing out right now if i was looking at a white wall i could see like little blotches in the wall um wow. until that blood went through the blood vessels in the eyeball because you have those little bitty veins um until that hickey dispersed out of there and got all the way through there and the trauma came out of my eye i could then Damn. see it again so it was, wow. it, was uh, it was really scary and it was it was odd but i knew uh, so mind you, two months after that fight, I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to see without these blotches in my eye. They're kind of fading. Should I call Dave Feldman and tell him, you know, that, that it was a lot of fun, but I'm not going to do my last fight. Um, it, and then I go back to my deal with God, three fights. I want to be the number one guy. And but how am I going to get that opportunity now after losing to the pretty much the champion at 155, even though I'm undefeated at 165? How do I get that opportunity now? So I just sat back and waited. I didn't do anything. I just started training. Um, I went back into the gym and I started really focusing on head movement, learning how to duck very little to take ever take any shots from the eye trying to keep my hands higher, trying to do all these different things. So I start working for, I don't know why. I just go to the gym and start really busting it out. Um, well, you take I, another year off. You take like, yeah, like 16 I, months off. I wait and I wait and I wait and I'm not getting a phone call from Dave. So I'm just training, not getting a phone call from Dave. So I'm just getting ready. Nothing's happening. Then I see Joe Elmore fight. Joe Elmore fights Will choke. And <clears throat> the second I seen that guy fight, I was like, dang, this dude's interesting as hell. And he's kind of scary. And Will Cho was a heavy favorite 
with oh, yeah. bare knuckle and Letch Lethway experience, yeah, and Elmore folded him. Yeah, that so, was shocking. And I remember him screaming into the TV afterwards, and I was like, it was like right then and there, but I was like, man, this dude is a scary, scary dude. And then he fights. It's almost like he's wired. Like yeah. he's like one of those dudes running around the trailer park snorting meth. Like he's, yeah. you know, he's just. Oh. He's, he's high, high energy, you know, high yeah. energy. So, um, obviously, fights, that's not the case. He fights Tom Shove, and uh, your buddy Shove had already become fairly decent friends. We, were, we weren't like real friend, like, we hadn't really interacted much. But at the fights in Cancun, we, you know, we, we, we had a really good mess. And then, uh, when I fought Jim Mailers, he was there that night. And he came to the locker room afterwards and he talked to me and he seen my, and he was like, holy crap, that's crazy. And, you know, we had some good talks. And then, you know, I'm watching uh, Elmore fight again because at the time I'm thinking Elmore is the most dangerous guy at 165. So I'm going to just keep my eye on him. He fights Tom and uh, I've seen a lot of things that, that Tom did that I liked against him. Now, I, I, I did recognize the power in Elmore because every time he hit Tom, he would drop him. So I was kind of like, man, you know, this, this dude is really, really something. And he comes out of that fight and does an interview and screams my name out. So he's... Like, let that happen back, in Texas. Go, 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 back, go back to my, my deal that I had made I want to fight three times. I want to be the best guy at my weight class. And then that's it. I'll call it quits. Um, I believe that it was uh, uh, an opportunity from God to fight Joe Elmore. Who I, I was contemplating not fighting again, but I went to the gym and started training. I didn't have a name. I didn't have an opponent. I didn't have any reason to be in the gym training because <laughs> Mind you, I thought if I just trained for six weeks, I'm unstoppable, right? Because of my 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 other fight before. Then the, the Jim Ehlers fight, you know, I was like, well, I'm not unstoppable because I can hurt my eyes, so I got to work on that. And then Joe Elmore calls me out, and I was like, this is it. This is my ticket to retiring as the number one guy. And, uh, you know, I just geared – pointed everything at Joe Elmore and that was going to be my next opponent, man. I, I, I called Dave Feldman the night that he called me out and I was like, sign me up, man, let's do it. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, you mentioned that you watched the Tom show fight. Whenever Tom was on the balls of his feet, he, he was winning the fight. And then when he'd get flat footed, yeah, he'd get knocked down. Yeah. So, as long as you stayed on the balls of your feet, you know, if you're Tom show, if you win that fight, yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was cool because at knuckle mania, they announced it that uh, me and me and Joe were going to fight each other. So that night of knuckle mania, Tom Shove calls me on Facebook. <laughs> uh, he Facebook video messages me and uh, we exchange phone numbers. He calls me up and he's like, look, I just spent five rounds with that guy. I know a lot about him. Uh, I want to come down and help you get ready for this fight. And I was like, perfect. That's man. cool as that, man. Um, so he comes down and and uh, by by true Mexican fashion, I branded him my cousin. Uh, 
same as Dwayne Ludwig. Well, he's got a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it worked out real well, man. So uh, me, me, me and Tom, of course, you know, we become family. Your cuñado. Yeah, he, 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 he's a great dude, man. And, and uh, we come down and we formulate a game plan and we're like, you know, hit, don't get hit. And then I train so hard the night that I get there to the fight. I, I remember the day before at weigh-ins, I remember him looking at me and he's like taking pictures of himself and, you know, being Joe, like all flashy. And I believe that he thinks that I'm afraid of him, right? Because several times in my interviews, I've said, man, this is a scary dude. Um, so I think he translated that as Leonard is scared of me. I'm going to go out there and whoop him. So we're lined up at the weigh-ins. And I remember my Mike Brown moment when Mike Brown just got in my face and let me know that nothing I was going to do the next night was going to matter. So I just decided right then and there that I was going to go get right in Joe Elmore's face and just press my head up against him and let him know that I was coming that next night. And that's what I did. So uh, it, it, it really worked out. Uh, I felt like that mental warfare for me was won that night and the next night. Uh, when I went in there, they were like, be leery of, you know, his right hand. Shof was telling me he's got a hell of a right hand. And, uh, you know, his left hook is just deceiving because it comes quickly. But his right hand is really what you got to watch for. Because Tom told me in the first round when he got hit with that right hand and did the butt scoot, that was the only time he was ever really, really hurt um, where he had to, like, regather himself. He said the other times that he got dropped really didn't bother him too much. So he was like, you're going to be fine, you know, just. Tom's a savage. Tom yeah. Schultz. Is a savage. And now, and, now, now Leonard, at what point was it when you you told me how you get ready to fight him and he bends down to do like a push up and then he just lifts his feet up and does push ups like that somehow? So, was he trying to intimidate you there? You think? Yeah. And so so uh, that was after the weigh-ins. We go to the doctor checkup and he's right in front of me. And mind you, Joe is very cordial dude. He he uh, he definitely has that energy, but he's friendly. You know what I mean? He's a he's a great uh, uh, what you know ambassador of the sport. He he doesn't really act all crazy like he does. You know whenever. No, he's, he's genuinely a nice guy. No, he's yeah. like, and it's real. It's he's real. a great dude. Yeah, yeah. It's it. So we're in front of each other and we're talking on the way to see the doctor. And we're doing our checkups. You know, they push your arms down, push you forward, make you wiggle your hands, fingers, squats. Then he says, do push-ups. Me and my wife are standing right behind Joe and his wife to see the doctor next. And he goes down, puts his knees on his uh, elbows and elevates his feet in the air and then rips push-ups. <laughs> his feet elevated in the air. And I'm, I'm standing right behind him and I'm looking at him, right? And I turn around away from him and I look at my wife and she's staring right at him. And I was like, mama, she said, what? I said, nobody's holding his feet, right? And she said, no. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think so. And I turned around and I was like, holy crap. You know, you should probably make a move. I bet you can't do 20 more. I can't. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking and another to myself, you know, I'm like, God, 
dang it, man, this is a scary dude. But, I'm, you know, it, it excited me because I knew he was trying to intimidate me and I knew that he knew I wasn't intimidated. So it was, I, I, at that moment, I knew it was going to be a great fight. Uh, and it was a war. Just, yeah, I was, I was pumped, man. I was so, um, before the fight, we're in the back and I'm ripping sprints back and forth, back and forth. And Tom's like, hey, dude, calm down. You're about to go out there and fight. And I was like, hell no. I ain't going to calm down. I'm going to go and I'm going to keep this same energy all five rounds. We're going to get it. You know, we're going to go. He's like, you know, be careful with his right hand. I was like, to hell with his right hand. I don't care. And Tom was like, okay, you know, <laughs> get in there and have at nice it. Nice talking and, to you. Yeah. Fun. And, uh, you know, we got in there and, and after that first round, I, I, I screamed at him when we're coming back to the corner. He like tries to shake my hand. And I was like, you ain't got nothing, you know? And he was like, what? Like, you ain't got nothing. And then I walk over the corner and I tell Tom, he's a punk. We got him, you know, we were going to whoop him, you know, and I'm pumped up. And uh, it was just, that's the best. I, I think the reason I retired as well is that's the best I was ever going to feel in my life that night. It, 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 it was definitely, um, everything clicked perfectly. So it worked out. You know, Leonard, man, it makes me happy. There's not too many people who get to go out on a high note, man. I mean, I was fortunate to go out on one in a in in, in MMA. This made me not want to do it anymore. It's like, man, you know, you ain't gonna beat this. And I felt watching you that fight. You know, Joel was a scary guy. The way you came back and did it, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. And yeah, well, you proved everything. And you know, you, that was your masterpiece. You just painted. Why are you gonna paint another one? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's exact man. You 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 hit everything right on the head there. I felt I felt it all, and then I felt like um, by not trying to step back in, I had fulfilled you know three promises that that, that I really stood behind. Um, and then we get offered this this boxing thing just recently, Chris. And uh, you know I'm to who very very, very leery about coming home and talking to my wife about fighting again. Was it but, through Triller or was it? Yeah, through Triller. Who, who, wait, come on, bro. Who, who were they throwing? What name I, were they I, throwing? I, 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 I didn't get as far as the opponent because well, I, knew, I knew that if they gave me a name, that it would turn it into a, let me watch some of this guy's stuff. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a fight. It's an exhibition. So I'm not breaking my promise with anybody. Um, but, you know, after sitting back and thinking about it and, and, and really reflecting with, with my wife and, 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 you know, a little bit of prayer and, 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 and a lot of thought, I was like, you know, you made a promise, be a man of your word. Uh, you know, I've always prided myself on that. And uh, you know, I I I held to, to to my promise and and I didn't break any and it worked out well, man. So I did you I, talk I, money? Yeah, yeah, they they definitely threw money out there. And <laughs> what, uh, were they, what was the ballpark? What were they throwing? Uh I would say uh, come on, Mike, don't be throwing that stuff, but don't make come on, letter. I I I uh I, I I can text you the actual offer right uh uh Chris, okay. I'll, uh, I'll do it. Uh, I'll text <laughs> Leonard, hey, I already know it. Don't worry about it, man. Okay. Don't worry about it. You All tell, right, so we're wrapping up. Obviously, we're wrapping up, but could you, 
all right, I look at myself as somebody that's fairly knowledgeable about the sport of mixed martial arts, but there's certain topics that I'm not going to say they haven't interested me, but I just haven't really spent the time on researching. You were with Greg Jackson in the beginning. Yep. It was Jackson's MMA. Jackson's MMA. And then it became Jackson Winklejohn. Yeah. And now it's Jackson, and then there's Winklejohn. Yeah. How, how does this happen? There, there was always a split between that whole, like, it was always, like I tell you, Greg, Greg was a, was a great guy, man. He, he, he is who he says he is. He will stand with you. And uh, he's one of those guys. Wink was always very different. Uh, I guess he, he doesn't really typically have a like for you. Unless he's going to get something out of it, is the so way I, I perceived him. I don't know if he's in 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 my uh, personal um, experience with him. That's the way I felt. Now I'm not speaking for everybody else, but I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. I felt like if he felt like he couldn't get anything from me or wasn't going to get any accolades from me winning the fight, he wasn't going to waste his time. Uh, trying to help me get ready and uh, I typically distance myself from people like that and I did a pretty good job of distancing myself from him okay so Jackson's got the big name and then he goes okay we'll name it both names yeah like he was already established I think I think uh, I think it was a financial thing to be honest with you Um, I think uh, the, the the new gym Everything else, the money that was coming in, I think uh, Winkle John uh, definitely had to have. It. See, to me, he was a guy who he he was always seeking that title. Like I want my name there next to yours. Um, hence, why I said if he didn't think he was going to yeah, get Jackson it, Wink, yeah, yeah, and and like I said, if he didn't think he was going to get anything from me winning a fight and his name being brought up then he wouldn't help. So, um, you know, I, I just felt like he was just seeking a, 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 you know, a name and, uh, you know, he got it and, and they're, but they're two very different people. Um, Greg, Greg will give you the shirt off his back and Wink will sell you the shirt off his back. So. <laughs> Fair enough. For, Fair for enough. a small markup for a little markup. Yeah. yeah, yeah a, little, a little fee. Incentive markup. Barely yeah, used. So, uh, and, and, and I feel like like uh, uh, Greg, Greg is definitely one of those guys that would literally give you a shirt off his back and, and, and wouldn't expect anything in return. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Chris. Hey, man, Leonard, once again, we really appreciate your time. I love hearing your stories. This is some <laughs> of my favorite stuff. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you, my friend. Yeah, and no, think about this. We haven't even. Go ahead. Letter, we haven't even talked about your fights with Nam Fan. Uh, yeah, I know. Me those are first, well, first belt. Yeah. Those are first belt Hall of Fame fights. Yeah. yeah Next was, interview, we're doing your UFC yeah. career. Well, Chris, I was gonna tell you, man, for reals, you know, coming into BKFC, you were one of the guys. I mean, we fought on a Seattle card together. Um, a lot of good things. I always had really good experiences with you. You're always a great. You're just a great person, man. I always appreciated that about you. And it was cool to be able to talk to you 
after my fight and talked these experiences during this podcast. And just, I always looked up to you as a fighter because the way you carried yourself. So it was always a good thing. Hey man, you were, you're part of my, uh, my group, man. I was, uh, you know, you're, you're the, the, an old school guy, man. And I always appreciate you guys. Uh, whenever I, you're on a card, I, I wanted you guys to do well, man. You know, it's, um, you're, you're part of the same group that I was part of, man. And I, I always look for, look at you guys as different from the new group, man. You know, it's a different thing. So you're an old school guy and uh, you're my favorite guys in the world, dude. You were there fighting before fighting was what it is. You fought because you were a fighter, man. I loved it. Yeah. Thank you, man. Well, awesome. Yeah. Leonard, thank you for your time, bro. Mike, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, thank you. All right. Lights out podcast. We just got done another deep dive in the bag. Leonard Garcia. Thank you very much, Leonard. Muchas gracias uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Mike, what do you think? Overall impression. He's a stand-up dude. I like him. You know, he's a lot more reserved than I had thought. Like he, as I disclosed in the interview, blew my mind. Like I thought he was just a wild man. Like I thought he was just like the 145 pound version of John Jones in regards to like outside of cage activity and uh super cool cat man real cool guy yeah you know i wonder it takes me back a couple of interviews to something that maybe he was reserved because in the words of antonio mckee he knows not to snitch i don't know i'm just throwing yeah. that out there <laughs> but, yeah uh, you, 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 we're not a legal podcast yeah, well, that's pretty solid advice right there. Yeah, in all walks of life. So that's why you got to thank the guru, Antonio McKee, as well. Uh, catch him in a few interviews ago. But uh, Leonard Garcia just delivered a solid one. Definitely interesting to see the Texas scene because you know it was robust. They fought in the 90s, basically. And they had, you know, Guy Mesger and Steve Nelson and certain legendary figures in the early days of the sport there, kind of guiding things and, you know, making things you know, good for their guys kind of thing. So very interesting stories. Miguel, what's your impression? Like, let's just say you're the local promoter and you've got 155 pound Leonard Garcia asking to be in the heavyweight tournament in order to face Heath Herring, who's every bit of 230. <laughs> you know, I, when you mentioned that, I definitely, I know Heath. I, I, I've met him. Uh, he was on the same pride show where I, I accompanied a fighter and, um, He's a big boy. He's a big boy. And, you know, Texas is, I think, you know, the first place where you can actually call legitimately the Wild West like that, you know. They had Steve Nelson, which created some structure with his wrestling uh, group there because it was shoot wrestling and stuff. But at the same time, it got pretty wild, uh, you know, at the borders and the borderland towns with Mexico and stuff like that. So, Anything goes. 230, yeah. 150. Hey, we've done worse than hook and shoot. All right. So it's just drop our promo code. Guys, if you're into gambling, betting on sports, betdsi.eu, you get a 50% cash bonus with a, a deposit up to $1,000 by using the promo code lights out. Use the promo code lights out at betdsi.eu and get 50% cash bonus. Uh, you up to a thousand dollars. Thank you for supporting the show. Like, share, subscribe. You guys have been fantastic. We've had an amazing month. Thank you. Yep. And uh, Leonard Garcia, thank you. And uh, Lenny Garcia in the can.